This episode of What's in the Box Office is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co and be sure to add our podcast, What's in the Box Office, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. The Sweet 16 Candles of Multiplex Madness Forever begins as some of the biggest films of the 90s battle it out. The first film to cross $1 billion at the box office against the epitome of independent cinema. Two of our greatest comedy stars at the peak of their powers bring their biggest films to the battlefield. The first and only horror film to win Best Picture goes up against the might of the biggest horror film in history and the culmination of the greatest blockbuster director in cinematic history versus the groundbreaking animated classic that changed an entire medium. Who will fall and who will advance to the Elite Eight and a Half to represent their genre? We're awarding division titles on this, the 140th episode of What's in the Box. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's in the Box Office. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your host, Noah. And uh, gee, when you put Jurassic Park just that way, it uh, really just seems like it should walk away with this whole thing, doesn't it? <laughs> the culmination of the greatest blockbuster director ever. And, like, I don't think you're wrong. Well, uh, I mean, in a sense, E.T. was more successful. But it just it, that felt like the, you know... It, it also felt like it was all building to that year in general, which in this list, but... That's why I tried to beef up Toy Story's thing too, because I think Toy Story. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, the we're talking about four movies. You know, no disrespect to the Mel Brooks division contenders and the John Carpenter division contenders, but we are talking about four films that could realistically win this whole thing if they weren't up against uh, their opponents today. Yeah. Like, this is Titanic and Pulp Fiction and Jurassic Park and Toy Story. It's you're hard pressed to find two. Or four more qualified contenders for the greatest blockbuster of the nineties, but two of I, th- I think uh, I think you're right, and uh, we've got more coming next week. Two of this, them have to go. This truly has to be our highest powered tournament yet. I, I agree. Yeah, I was thinking about this that like, too. There's it's like Top Chef season seventeen. There's so yes, everyone gets that. Uh, who's listening? At least one person. Um, you know this. I was thinking about that too, that this crop of movies, even going back to, you know, rounds ago, um, far surpasses just in terms of like impact in, in our minds and in, in the field, the films of the other tournaments we've done. And I was thinking about why that would be the case. And I think it's because this was like the last pure cinema decade before IP became king, before yeah. movie stars started fading away before everything was sequelized and franchised and adaptations ruled the game. This was like when movie stars could be movie stars and those, those things, those big blockbusters centered around special effects and animated features and and IP started to creep into the consciousness. So it really is a turning point. Um, Yeah. I I think think it's, I think it's kind of like, you know, people always say about, uh, about like seventies in Hollywood 
and how uh, studios were just giving blank checks to Martin Scorsese oh, and Francis Ford Coppola and oh, Brian De Palma is. and yeah, to just do whatever the fuck you want. And it produced uh, some of our coolest movies. Uh, the 90s might just be the blockbuster equivalent of that. Before, exactly like you said, they started, uh, they really started being like, hey, Spider-Man, eh? Yeah, we need to target every person of every age and taste in one movie. Yeah. By putting Spider-Man in it. Yeah, Spider-Man was in, it's shocking that Spider-Man was in everything in, in, the, in the 2000s. Every single you, movie. You couldn't. You, just, you, you know they had a couple of meetings, like, could he be an X-Man? I mean, when, when. You know, Hillary Swank fought the human spider in the ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy, you know? And then she was paralyzed by bone saw. Um, <laughs> crazy. We, we have too much to get to today because not only are we doing the first half of the Sweet 16 Candles, we are also going to be counting down our 10 best films of 2020. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts that we do, because it is the week before the the, the first Oscars, Noah, that I'm going to watch alone, ever. Yeah. The that? first Oscars in years that I'm not going to watch live. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange to be like, and I'll be talking about it with nobody. Well, uh you you just you had to know we're we're right we're right on the cusp of re-entering the world and we we just needed to take one last body blow i guess i couldn't couldn't go out peacefully my but, mom uh, my mom was like why don't you have like a zoom thing and i'm like i don't think any of my friends want to watch the oscars so i don't think that'll work if you do hit me up i'll zoom with you all night um all right, here we go. Multiplex Madness Forever. Let's just get into it. We're talking about the Godfather Conference. We're awarding. We're we're announcing winners. We're we're picking winners today. This is, these are yeah the several division, winners. The division winners that will represent their genres uh, moving forward. Because starting in two weeks, it's no longer comedy against comedy. It's going to be comedy against drama. We're mixing genres here. It's going to be crazy. So let's get into it. The spike like grease. This is going to be just like grease. The uh, Spike Lee division, the dramas, we have the one seed, Titanic, against the three seed, Pulp Fiction. Titanic beat Ghost, the eight seed to get here, and Good Will Hunting. Pulp Fiction defeated the six seed, The Fugitive, and the seven seed, Schindler's List. Here we go. Now, before we get started, who's going to win this? What do you think? Um, I, I want Pulp Fiction. I haven't looked into it too much, uh, like category by category, it's so good. I'm going to... I'm going to, my gut's Titanic. Yeah. I, my gut says it is going to be fiction and that'll be a hard blow, but uh, let's find out. Titanic was released December 19th, 1997 opening weekend, $28.6 million final gross of 600 million domestically. Pulp Fiction was released October 14th, 1994 opening weekend, $9 million final gross of 108 domestically. Bigger profit. Oh, so let's just I say it every time, but I'll just say it again. Five categories. First, the three wins. Bigger profit relative to budget. Then we do quality of movie. The harder road to success. And the two legacy sequels. I pick a new movie every time. So let me think of one um, from later. Let's do Superbad. So 
the two legacies. The legacy of the film itself. How is Superbad thought of now? How is it? Is it revered? Is it still talked about? Did it spawn movies of yes the film? Yes. All those kind of things. And then the legacy of the film to the participants. So Superbad was directed by Greg Malota. It was uh, the first screenplay Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wrote. And it's huge to the careers of its three, four stars. Uh, Christopher McPlus, obviously. Uh, Emma Stone, Michael Sarah, Still working to this day. Jonah Hill. So um, those are how we split up the legacy categories. Here we go. Titanic. Had a budget of $200 million, a final gross of $1.8 billion. That's profit of 900%. Pulp Fiction had a budget of $8 million. It grossed 214 worldwide. That's profit of 2,674. Game one goes to Pulp Fiction. Quality of movie. Uh, well, we're both going to pick Pulp Fiction. Yes, uh, Pulp Fiction is... Uh... Probably just one of my favorite movies, full stop. Sure. Uh, and yeah, the boat the boat crashes are cool in Titanic. The boat crashes? <laughs> All right. <laughs> the the singular, very extended okay. boat crash. Boats don't crash into each other in the movie. There's one. Sorry, I was I was I was I was I was actually thinking of face off, my mistake. Okay, I see. Um yeah, I'm also going with Pulp Fiction. Harder Road to Success, I'm giving this one to Titanic. I think that when you have, a, you know, even though you have James Cameron um, and whatnot, he wasn't James Cameron yet, you know. This this would give him the title of James Cameron. But uh, you have a big budget, big romance. It'll probably succeed, but it was a troubled production. In the press, it was pegged as, you know, this is going to be a huge flop. And then not only are you a huge hit, but you gross like two hundred fifty million more than the record holder currently for biggest film of all time, and gross almost two billion dollars when no film in history had crossed a billion. I'd give it to Titanic. It well exceeded expectations. Pulp Fiction had a bunch of celebrities and made a good amount of money. I I, I think I agree. If Pulp Fiction had grossed like one fifty or higher, yeah, maybe one seventy five. Exactly the number. Well, one fifty was exactly the number I was thinking. Yeah. Then, then it would be a conversation uh, more. Right. But like, Titanic made six hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the highest grossing movie of all time. It was the highest grossing movie of all time by an obscene margin. Yes, and held uh, the record for twelve years. Yes, uh, and you know, before we, before the world changed and we all knew better, was in that position. Like, will it just, will it ever be beaten? Truly, can a movie make six hundred million dollars again? Years, years, and years of uh, of articles about that. And then the yeah. two, and then the Dark Knight got closest uh, with like five hundred. And finally, remember the movie that beat God. it? I do. I remember. Oh, wasn't it? it was, wasn't it, was it just Avatar? Avatar? Yeah. yeah it was Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the Avengers was, I think, the next one to get over six hundred. Okay. And, we, and everyone was like, "Whoa!" I think yeah. Avengers must have got it. Yeah, Avengers definitely got it. Um, all right. So that's was, uh two one to, to Pulp Fiction. It is. Do you remember that uh, that Dark Knight uh, that Dark Knight run, like checking to see if it'll make it, and the period of time when it still seemed like it might. Yes, and then I remember they re-released it to get it over a billion worldwide because it was yeah. it came just under. So uh, in January of the next year, two thousand nine. They re-released it, uh, also to help with its Oscar chances. But uh, 
they did get over a billion, but they couldn't. I think it ended at five thirty or something. So. Yeah, but I just I I very distinctly remember as an annoying teenager, just being so excited that the dark Knight might dethrone <laughs> Titanic as the greatest movie to ever be made. And then being very is, disappointed. When the it title won. they were battling it out for. It was the great, because it, yeah, it is in the, my mind, Brian, in my mind, this will be validation for the dark Knight, which that, means validation. Yeah. Right. People don't like the dark Knight enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Legacy of the film itself. Titanic was the number one film of 1997, number one at the box office for 15 weeks. Number one film of all time, number one film worldwide. 75 on Metacritic, 14 Academy Award nominations, the most wins in history with 11, tying what? I, God, Ben-Hur. Yes. I don't know. No, yes? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Pretty sure. Yeah, because I, I think... yes? I, no, because I think uh, Lord of the Rings also tied three of them with 11. Okay. The Lord of the Rings turned the King Sweat. Yes, it did. Up 11, down 11. Uh, Pulp Fiction, 94 on Metacritic, seven Oscar nominations, including picture, director, uh, actress for Uma Thurman, and supporting, no, sorry, actor for, for Uma I Thurman. guess, no, I guess Travol- oh, Travolta was an actor, supporting actress for Uma Thurman, and supporting actor for Samuel Jackson. And it won uh, Best Original Screenplay. This is tough. This is this is really hard. I think this is, these next two are very difficult. I uh, because you know Titanic is still I think a juggernaut that's held in like huge esteem. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a wildly beloved movie. It's uh, it's reign at the top of the charts for so long. Very big part of its legacy. Yes. As we said, it seemed it seemed for a very long time that it would just be there forever. Uh, and the awards love is also enormous. Meanwhile, Pulp Fiction, like depending depending on who you talk to, I would say generally like critically more well regarded. Right. Uh, but I I don't know. That's a that's obviously a pretty nebulous thing to say. Well, it is Pulp Fiction. I mean, look at the Metacritic score. Yeah, sure. That's a that's a good point. It is. Uh, it is more well I uh, not the same kind of uh, not the same kind picture. of awards love. No, a lot of great picture. nominations, but lost best picture. You know. I though, as you uh, as we were talking about last time, we were talking about Pulp Fiction, just uh, hugely influential on right. a uh, an entire genre of movies and generation of movie makers i feel like also i feel like though when your movie makes over a billion for the first time and that yeah. that becomes the benchmark uh-huh. for overseas success you know now we've had 30 movies make over a billion something like that but another movie didn't make over a billion i don't think until for six years until return of the king and then it took another three years for Pirates 2 to do it. So it was like this, it, you know, the, the, what Pulp, you know, and then obviously we, we talked about the uh, the domestic gross, which would just hold for 12, for 12 years. It's yes. wild. The, the last movie to top uh, uh, 
the number one grossing was, we'll talk about it later, Jurassic Park, and that took uh, four years for something to be in it. This was three times that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a there was a string of like this is the biggest, this is the biggest, this is the biggest, and Titanic's yeah. like shut, everyone shut the fuck up. Right, I, th- I, I in my mind I want to say it was like Star Wars, ET, maybe five years after Star Wars, something like that. Yeah, uh, and then I think Jurassic Park took it from ET. ET had it for maybe eleven years as well, but um, but yeah, and then this just swept it away and kept it for fucking twelve years. It's crazy. But how mu- how much of Titanic do you see in the next twenty five years of movie making? Well, the, did the, the the grand romance thing is hard, but certainly the epics. You know, it was a three hour epic that would uh, that would reach into the repeat viewing thing. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm I just. I want to posit to you: Do we get like Lord of the Rings without Titanic? I was when you were talking about the 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 epic nature. I maybe not. I think I think Lord of the Rings is probably owes a great deal to yeah. the success of Titanic. I. It's true that there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, like Australia is the only one that I can think of that was yeah. like a big romance capital r that i wanted to be like effects heavy and big but that doesn't dilute the the fact that it was like this mammoth true life thing i really am trying to think of other copycats but it's it's, it's hard to do um yeah i think i think for me i think i'm 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 voting titanic here it's just it's got too many different uh yeah. cases to make it's got the it's got the awards case it's got the biggest movie of all time case it's got the uh, just beloved in its own right case uh so i you know i don't think i don't think pulp fiction can can make as any arguments even if maybe i think it can make the strongest one and i don't even know that for sure so titanic gets my vote i i think that that's right I th- i'll go with titanic as well Legacy of the Participants. We're at a tie game. Yes, and this is uh, this is this is I think the, this is I think the first time that a movie can make a case against Titanic. I think you're it's... probably right. I do, th- and I'm going to look it up now. But I do think that the Reservoir no. Dogs mm. of it all hurts Pulp's favor. Maybe, and and even even then, when I was when I was saying that, because I was what I was thinking in my head is like, sure, Titanic launched Leonardo DiCaprio, the biggest movie star in the world. Like you just right said, now. sure. I mean, it did. But, but yeah, but Pulp Fiction is the is Quentin Tarantino's overall masterpiece, I think, and is. Is I I would argue the single most important movie in his filmography. Uh, well, and that he is, that is true. And he is a just a one of one of the one of this generation's absolute greatest directors. However, I was not considering that Titanic has a bit of directorial clout of its own. He was the king of the world. Pretty pretty important. 
to the legacy of one James Cameron. James, it's his. It's his. I would argue it is. It is his most important part of his filmography. I. It's certain. It's certain. The, the the seismic, you know, shake that this had among audiences and just yeah. the culture. You know, it, there, there's. Yeah. There's certainly a case to be made there. Uh, that is tough. If, if it, you know, and like I, pulp, I, I think the pulp fiction. I think the Quentin Tarantino aspect is bigger than Cameron's, but the Cameron and DiCaprio together. Yeah, see, that's tough. that's I think the thing for me is that pulp fiction is more important to Quentin Tino, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> I just call him Quentin Tino. Uh, than Titanic is to James Cameron. But that's like a it's like a 9 out of 10 versus a 7 or 8 out of 10. Whereas the effect that Titanic had for Leo is a 10 out of 10. And Pulp Fiction, you know, Pulp Fiction revitalized John Travolta. It's a right. uh, it's a it's a it big the, uh, it's a, it's big for Bruce Willis, it's, it's big for Sam Jackson, but you know, it, it launched Uma Thurman. And then but yeah. then on the other side we throw over Winslet, who's one of our most accomplished actresses. Sure. Yeah, I don't I don't I think the the gap between actor importance for Titanic is much bigger than the gap between director importance for Pulp Fiction. How does your vote go? It as uh, as a result of that logic goes to Titanic, and it's in. I've made my vote. You've made your vote, and that calls the game. Because even if I went with fiction, Titanic wins the tiebreaker, and I'm leaning Titanic anyway. So, all right, Pulp Fiction, a movie that I thought could go all the way, would be similar to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I was... in Multiplex Madness 2000. And steamrolls its way to victory, goes down to, I mean, the only contender that could beat it, in my opinion. Yeah, Titanic. I was, I was, I was thinking as you were as we were beginning this matchup that Pulp Fiction might just have a Crouching Tiger esque run in that yeah. it will it will beat ninety five percent of movies in the first three categories every time. Right. Uh, it's got a huge profit relative to budget. It it a, might be the best movie in the tournament, right? Uh, and it, uh, you know, it's a it's just a tiny crime movie from a weirdo that went on to huge success. So it's going to have a harder road than most things. I do want Quentin Tarantino's, <laughs> and I know his last movie. You know, he's only doing ten. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it, it, you know, the trailers for his next movie would probably say the final film from Quentin Tarantino. Whatever. Sure, but I would like it to say from a weirdo. Yeah, it could probably say film. some crime movie from a weirdo, frankly. No, not even that. You know, they say from the, you know, from the yeah, yeah, dudes yeah. that brought you Bandcamp. This would say yeah. from a weirdo. And it would, <laughs> just, it would just go on with the rest of the trailer. It would be fair. I think that'd be funny. Uh, uh, congratulations to Titanic, though. James Cameron yeah. remains the king of the world. It moves on. It takes the Spike Lee division. It moves on to the Elite Eight and a Half, where it will face... Uh, the winner of our next division, the Mel Brooks division, the comedy films. I mean, these are just two behemoth comedy stars up against each other here. And their highest grossing films of this era, battling it out. The one seed, Mrs. Doubtfire, which defeated the eight seed, A League of Their Own. 
and the four seed The Birdcage against the two seed Liar Liar, which defeated the seven seed Nutty Professor and the six seed The Truman Show. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire released November 24th, 1993. It's opening weekend, $27 million over the Thanksgiving five day it opened on. Final gross, $219 million domestic. Liar Liar was released March 21st, 1997. Opening weekend, $31 million. Final gross, 181 domestic. Mrs. Doubtfire cost $25 million to make. It grossed 441 worldwide. That's a profit of 1,764%. Liar Liar had a budget of $45 million. It grossed 302 worldwide. That's a profit of 672.1 goes to Mrs. Doubtfire in what I would say would be a huge uh, performance. I agree. I, I, I will always agree that a uh, a strong profit budget win is very important. Quality of movie. Uh, you know, I rewatched both of. Well, I didn't. You, you and I we rewatched Liar Liar in the last year. Yeah. I rewatched Mrs. Doubtfire in preparation for an earlier round. I don't know, Noah. What, what do you think here? I think this is a this is incredibly close. There's a razor razor thin margin between these movies. I am going to vote Liar Liar mm. because uh, for the same reason I voted it over Truman Show. I think it is just a a perfect distillation of everything I want out of a Jim Carrey movie. Uh, so, and that's not that's not to say that Mrs. Doubtfire is like a fine Robin Williams movie. Uh, but maybe maybe not quite a perfect distillation in that way. I you know these are both comedies, and I agree, Liar Liar is funnier than Mrs. Doubtfire. Sure. So basing it on that, I could you know we could if what's the best comedy, but quality of movie is the category. So it is. And and for me, and I've always thought this, I think that the Mrs. Doubtfire take on divorce is so frank and done so well in that movie you know even as a kid the idea that they don't get together at the end Uh and the the you know the ending of the tv show where he's explaining you know he gets the letter from the fan as well and he's explaining um you know that it's okay and so i mean it's beautifully written and i think it really pays off really well uh and so i think that them handling this very serious especially in the early 90s this very serious kids topic maturely and realistically um really pays off and i I think i what i was gonna say is any of that offset to you by the fact that uh from an outside lens the behavior of the ex-husband in this movie is uh psycho shit (laughs) just absolutely deranged no uh (laughs) That's fine. It's a comedy movie. Just just wanted it's to throw broad, it out there. It's a broad it's, premise. Listen, yeah. if we're going with insane, Jim Carrey would be locked, he'd be locked up with a shit. He yeah, goes, but it was magic. He go- <laughs> okay. <laughs> just the, saying, he wasn't... The authorities, wasn't... excuse me, the authorities don't know it's magic. The people around him don't know it's magic. He, he comments on a woman's breast in an elevator. She slaps him. He sleeps with his boss. He draws on his face. As soon as he drew blue all over his face and, like, his secretary uh-huh. came in and saw him, she would immediately go, and he goes, he needs to go on leave. He is, at, like, him, like, making, you know, I just, his. <laughs> but none of that, none of that serves to counteract 
I guess, like, the moral premise of the movie that being shitty to your kid is bad. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't actually hold that against Mrs. Doubtfire. It's just, I think, I think for quality movie, I am going to go with uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. That, that, right. that is my gut. And that's what I'm going here. All right. Uh, we're, let's see. I have Doubtfire up 2-0. You have it at 1-1. I do. Harder road to success. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Doubtfire. I think that, you know, and it's, it's really because it, it soared about the same amount as Aladdin, and it is coming off of Aladdin. I will give it that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's the Robin Williams kids movie the year after Aladdin comes out. But Liar Liar was four, three years removed from Carrie's emergence, and it's just the, the pinnacle. It was like what everything was leading toward gross-wise. Um, and so a Jim Carrey movie overperforming while he's the biggest star in the world um, I... is easier to me. Then uh, Mrs. Doubtfire grossing like you know seventy million more than Jumanji would two years later. Basically. Yeah, I think I agree. I think uh, you have Carrie's ninety four, and then a few years pass, and he comes back, and he's like, "Hey, everybody, I'm talking about what color this pen is," and my answer is not what you think it'll be. Right. Like who's who's not showing up day one for that? Uh, my vote is Mrs. Doubtfire as well. All right, I have Doubtfire winning. You have it at 2-1. Legacy of the movie itself. Doubtfire was the uh, number two film in 1993, 53 on Metacritic. It won the Best Makeup Oscar. Liar Liar has a 70 on Metacritic. Uh, The Legacy of the movie itself, I think, is also Doubtfire. I think that this has a very... It was just turned into a Broadway musical. Um, And it, it, it has a very, I think, large nostalgic piece for a lot of kids our age. I think that's I think that's true, and like I for some reason I don't think Liar Liar is held in the same esteem as like any of Carrie's ninety four movies. Which yeah, when which you... I've I've always found odd because it is better than all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's better than Dumber Dumber. It's better than uh, The Mask. It's better than the Ace Ventures. So yes, very strange. But it's but, yeah, but it's just it's sort of it's not in that same tier for him. Uh, reputation wise so i agree mrs doubtfire uh gets the vote and advances another one seed we have two one seeds now in the elite eight and a half and they will face each other in two weeks continuing uh our list let's see if another one seed moves forward with the john carpenter division the one seed the sixth sense against the three seed sounds of the lambs six cents defeated interview the vampire the eighth seed and scream the four seed and the sounds of the lambs defeated the six seed Scream 2, and shocking upset the two seed The Blair Witch Project. The Sixth Sense was released August. Oh God, every time I say it, August sixth, nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> it's opening weekend twenty six million dollars. Final gross two ninety three. The Sounds of the Lambs was released Valentine's Day nineteen ninety one. Opening weekend thirteen million dollars. Final gross one hundred and thirty. You got you got to admit that that Best Picture win is even fucking sweeter in fact that opened in february yeah that's that's absolutely right that's insane. Insane. insane hadn't even really been thinking about that uh the sounds of the lambs cost 40 million dollars to make no sorry six cents cost 40 million dollars to make it grows 673 that's profit of 1682 
The Silence of the Lambs cost $19 million. That grossed $272 worldwide. That's a profit of $1,435.1 goes to The Sixth Sense. I will say in this case, I don't know that that's a big win for Sixth Sense, but that's yeah. a big loss for Silence of the Lambs. Interesting. I don't know if those things are different, but I feel I like they, they are. are. I think they are. Uh, it, it that that win means more to one movie than to the other. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. Uh, quality of movie, we're both going to say the sounds of the lamp. We could just move on. Yes, hundred percent. Right. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't totally sure about you. You you think the sixth sense is great, like most people do. Uh, oh, but yeah, my I vote think, certainly silence of the lambs. I think it's great that the sounds of the lambs is a masterpiece. <laughs> yes, agreed. So yeah, uh, sounds. I only own one of these on uh, Blu-ray or just DVD. I think it was, unless you have it, I don't know. Anyway, um, harder road to success. I, I think it's just the sixth sense for over, almost making $300 million. I mean. Yeah, is it? It's not still the highest grossing horror f- film of all time, right? No, it's, That's it's, like not, it. it's, it's no longer. Yeah, it is now the highest grossing uh, horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was at the time. At the uh, time, yeah. it became the highest grossing horror film. And in, I would I would imagine was for a while. I don't have the stats I, on me, but I, my guess would be it wasn't probably until it actually. Yeah, uh, so quite a while. Of, like I can't yeah. think of another big horror movie that would have made over three hundred. So yeah, it was until it. So what that was, was what was that twenty seventeen. Uh. Yes. Okay. So eighteen years. That's longer than Titanic was the biggest horror flume. No, the biggest <laughs> flume in general. I, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think it's, I can't it's tell too, if you hear me. Do you hear me success. saying flume? Yes. I, I, just, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I don't see the value in stepping in, being like, "What's a flume?" Because you said you it. misspoke. No, it's because you said flume. Did I? You started. Yes, and that's why I'm repeating it over and over again. At the beginning of uh, oh. the, the beginning of the Sixth Sense, you said, "Is it still the biggest horror fl- horror film?" You started to say "Flume." Uh, oh, I didn't it's, even notice. That's why. When you well, you won't you don't listen to these, but when I listen back, I'm going to double check. I'm okay. pretty sure you said "Flume," and then if you didn't, I really like sound a, like I'm like a that. log ride. <laughs> yeah, it's the biggest yeah, log ride ever. Uh, <laughs> um. So does that mean like the log is really big, or does that mean that the the route is very big? No, just I think it's it's called it's well it's called a log flume. So I guess just the the ride itself. Again, does that mean the actual flume or the distance it goes? I. Well, what do you consider the ride? <laughs> I don't know what you do mean you... by the actual like the track. You get you get yes, the track. You get on That's the thing. And then it goes, and then you're done. Like, that's what I could, like... That's the that. ride. Yeah. Okay, great. The ride isn't the vehicle. No. Okay. No. The the whole body. Got it. So when you were watching... When you heard about Pimp My Ride, did you think they were, like, decking out a route to some I, location? <laughs> I'm able to discern well, context soup, clues. We're going to soup up your drive to work. Oh, my God. God, you won't believe it. I can't tell you how much time I spent thinking about Pimp My Ride 
when it was on. You can't tell me because you're constantly thinking about it. You don't have time. Um, right. What, what, what are we doing here? Six senses up two to one. We agreed it had the hardest road to success. Okay. You actually right. voted that way, right? You weren't just yeah. leaning. No, okay. no I, I did. Yeah. Legacy of the film itself. Well, The Sixth Sense was the number two film in 99, highest grossing horror film in history, 64 on Metacritic, six Academy Award nominations, picture, director, original screenplay, and both supporting actor and actress uh, for Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette. Sounds of the Lambs has an 85 on Metacritic, seven Oscar nominations, five wins, the big five, ladies and gentlemen, picture, director, actor, actress, screenplay, editing. I should find out what the last one was. Um, what do you think here for, I, for the film itself? I would, I would, first of all, I would guess the award is adapted screenplay. Uh, well, it's, cer- it's, cer- it's certainly, it's certainly, but I, I think I said screenplay, didn't I? Did I say original? No, yeah, you did. But then you said editing and I thought you might've been guessing sure. that instead of screenplay. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I'm thinking Silence of the Lambs here. I think uh, the huge award success, I think the general recognition of it as, uh, as you said earlier, a masterpiece of a movie uh, and being, you know, not, not just the award success, but being the only horror movie to date to win best picture. I agree. I think the, I think the sounds of the lambs is talked about more. And I think it's more important to the legacy of the, uh, film than the sixth sense so i agree with you where does that leave us tie tied boy this next one is tough because two weeks ago we talked about the bruce willis factor um which is big the sure aside from m night Shyamalan, Haley jaws and it's also big not big on tony collette people don't really associate her with this no still gave her her first oscar nomination and so far her only um she was robbed for hereditary. She was. She should have won. The Silence of the Lambs, though. Jonathan Demme, huge for him. Yeah. Jodie Foster, her second Oscar, and just immediately uh, an iconic on-screen heroine, similar to uh, Linda Hamilton for The Terminator. And then Anthony Hopkins. As like a... It's, it's, it's a, the defining role of his career. It's one of the more... It's, it's, I mean, it's one of the most iconic characters and villains in cinema history. Yeah, it's a, it's an absolute top tier villain performance. It is a, uh, Hannibal Lecter is on the same level as fucking Darth Vader, yes, uh, and the like. Uh, what else could you not think of another one? Mike? Myers. No, I could not. But that's you. not really that's not really a performance though, Mike Myers. No, but I, I just I just I I was really just thinking the character Darth Vader is not really a performance either. That's true. It's more than Mike Myers, but like, but I just mean when you when you think of the the absolute yes. iconic movie villains, uh, fucking Norman Bates. Yeah, perfect. There you go. Robert Mitchum, Night of the Hunter. Yeah, uh, if you're talking to a a filmy person. <laughs> Soon everyone will. I'm spreading that movie as soon as we're out of quarantine. I got the Criterion. Okay. It's going out places. Sure. Well, people like uh, people like promising young woman. Maybe it'll make a uh, it'll make a, a splash of its own in that way. Mm, good. Sure. I. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm leaning 
Silence of the Lambs here as well. I think it's it is a it is a definitionally important movie to at least three huge careers. You know, I I think the Jodie Foster cancels out Bruce Willis. I think that Jonathan Demme might cancel out Haley Joel. And then it's between Hopkins and M. Night. And I think that the creation of Hannibal Lecter... But I have a question, though. Is, is the creation of Hannibal Lecter, is that character more to the film's legacy or the participants in the film? I think it's, I think it's more to Hopkins' legacy. Okay. I think, I think the, that, that character in the hands of another actor would still be good but would not necessarily live alongside Darth Vader. He also reprised the role in two sequels. Uh, whereas, you know, Anthony Hopkins is, you know, an, incre- an incredibly uh, celebrated and established actor with any number of incredible performances. He's still getting nominated for Oscars some, to this some, day. Some people say The Father is his best work. And... And that that is that is uh, I'm sure true, but I would I would bet money that the majority of people would turn to Silence of the Lambs as like his defining role at the very least. Well, yes, certainly is his biggest creation. I'm yeah. also I think that I think that when you create an iconic character, an iconic name, an iconic look, an iconic delivery, and an iconic line, yeah. fava beans. Claire, just him saying hello, Clarice. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an all time quote. And you know, we're not even talking about Buffalo Bill and, as a movie villain. Well, who's because Buffalo Bill is the actual villain of the movie, right? And <laughs> Hannibal Lecter is in like fifteen minutes of the. He yeah. did all of this in like fifteen minutes. I'm I, yeah. I'm 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 gonna give it to Sansa Lambs. Sansa yeah. Lambs defeats. The one seed, the six cents, and moves on to the elite eight and a half. Wow. How about that? One seed goes down here. We now have two one seeds out of contention. What this will the Sons of the Lambs face? Let's get into what could be uh, the most important matchup we've ever had. In this show. <laughs> the Steven Spiel- aptly named Steven Spielberg division, the one seed Jurassic Park, against the three-seed Toy Story. Jurassic Park had uh, defeated the eight-seed The Mummy and the five-seed Home Alone, while Toy Story defeated the six-seed Mission Impossible and the two-seed The Matrix to be here. This is is monumental. I think that when you're looking at the 90s, um, it's like Titanic and then these. Yeah. As the movies. And this could, uh, this this could also, you know, we said it about Titanic and Pulp Fiction, but this could be a final in the sense that, like, these movies span genres. Yes, mm-hmm. these 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 could have these could have emerged from family uh, and action. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I guess are both They're in the, the same, same conference. conference. But you just gen- generally speaking, not only are they you know in the same conference, mean. not only are they in the same conference, they would they would face each other in the eight. Sure, they're, they're the top two. So let's put Toy Story and Family and leave Jurassic Park here. Okay. <laughs> then it could be a final. Then they're ob- literally opposite corners, kitty corners. Yeah. 
Jurassic Park released June 11th, 1993, opening weekend $50 million, final gross 357. Toy Story was released November 22nd, 1995. It's opening weekend. Well, it opened on a Wednesday, so from Wednesday to Sunday, $39 million, and from Friday to Sunday of that same weekend, $29 million. Jurassic Park cost $63 million to make. It made $912 million worldwide. That's a profit of 1448 Toy Story. Had a budget of $30 million, a gross of $244 worldwide. That's profit of $815. Game one goes to Jurassic Park. Quality of movie. Go ahead, Noah. <laughs> I, You're the one, you, you were struggling with this. I was struggling. I was, uh, I was saying to you off mic that much in, much in the same way I was having this internal debate between Toy Story and The Matrix, I've been thinking about Toy Story v. Jurassic Park. Uh, all week long as to which movie is better. Uh, this time I settled on Jurassic Park. Wow. It's, a, again, a a, a razor-thin margin, even thinner sure. than the last time I used that expression uh, 10 minutes ago. But, uh, and I think it's, I, I'm sure this is just influenced by how many times I watched Jurassic Park as a kid which was a uh, hundred million, give mm-hmm. or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I, I got, I got to go Jurassic Park here. I absolutely, I absolutely love that movie. Um, this is for me, hands down Toy Story. Hands down Toy Story. Yeah. And I love Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. It's fucking great. Hands down Toy Story. Wow. Harder Road. That's fair though. Harder Road to Success. I'm giving this to Toy Story. I know that it had the backing of Disney and it had uh, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. But it was an experimental version of a genre coming in the heat of the traditional hand-drawn musical Disney extravaganza. So it was Uh entirely different from that. Who knew if people would respond to its format to its style and Steven Spielberg making a big action movie about dinosaurs is as, you know, at that time is uh, as slam dunk as you can get at the box office. Sure. It was a, uh, an adaptation of a, uh, what I think was a hugely successful book. Yes, it was. Yeah. Crichton was big. Um, so yeah, I, I think the toy story nearing 200, um, you know, making more than Beauty and the Beast, and uh, basically twenty million away, thirty million away from Aladdin. Yeah, I just I just pulled that up. Aladdin's two seventeen, so that's those are those are those are close enough as to be negligible to me. And 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 again, it's just it's a Disney movie, sure, but it's not in there. They they were it was a year after Lion King. They were all about hand drawn musical family films. This was a computer-generated straight comedy. Uh, who knows if people would have actually responded to that kind of thing. But they uh, did to tremendous success. And so I, I, I give this one to Toy Story. I just think that Jurassic Park was obviously going to be hugely successful. I, I have to agree. And I, you know, I, do, I do hesitate a little bit just because the, the degree of success is worth noting for Jurassic Park. But... I think if Jurassic Park got over four... I would agree that it overperformed, sure. but but yeah, but still, this is this is Steven Spielberg, the greatest blockbuster director ever, 
mm-hmm. at the height of his powers, uh, make, making a just ab- absolutely definitionally a blockbuster movie. It doesn't it the the only the only thing other than the success that Jurassic Park doesn't or the the big number that Jurassic Park doesn't have going for it is that it stars fucking Sam Neill and Laura yeah, Dunn. Exactly. If 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 he had gotten you know, I mean E. T. starred nobody. You know? Yeah. I'm but, I'm just I'm I'm just saying it's like, it's it's if, all the more if he impressive. He had gotten, you know, Harrison Ford, his Indiana Jones buddy, to be right. in it. I mean, we would have been like, oh, well, this, course. I mean, yeah. this would have knocked, this would have knocked out Titanic preemptively. <laughs> like in the box office, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Is, Titanic would not have reached the title of highest grossing movie of all time because if Jurassic Al- Park <laughs> could Her- not Harrison, be stopped. Harrison Ford played Alan Grant. Yes. The same. Or uh, ma- well, it was just before The Fugitive, but yeah. Yeah. Like two months before. Yeah. I, guess, I guess maybe you get Harrison Ford for Goldblum. Okay, but like you but know, then you Alan, lose out on the Alan's, massive Goldblum but star Alan's, power. But Alan Grant's like grumpy. He doesn't like kids. He's like, you know, that's, that's true. very Ford. It would have, yeah, it would have been perfect. Who would you <laughs> have gotten um, for? Would you get like an Eddie Murphy for Goldblum? Or is he not like dry enough? No, I think I think if you're not putting uh, Ford in the Goldblum spot, Goldblum is just like I know. I'm just I'm just trying to re- I'm trying to replace him with like big deals. Okay. I uh, Yeah, I mean like Eddie Murphy would have played it differently, but he would he would have been able to fit that. Would he just, have been well would, he he was probably like maybe a little young. He's probably I think he's like thirty at the time. Yeah. So maybe a little young. To be uh I don't know. Who else is big? I don't know. It's it's tough for me when you get back when you start going back to like the early nineties of like who are the big names? that could be adults in movies. Kevin Klein would have been, I don't know how big of a clout he had. He would have been great. as well. He would have. All right. Uh, what are we doing? So uh, you've got Toy Story up two to one. I've got Jurassic Park up two to one. We move on to the legacies. Jurassic Park, number one film in 93, number one film of all time, 68 on Metacritic, three Oscars. Toy Story, number one film in 95, uh, 95 also on Metacritic, Four Oscar nominations, including original screenplay, and they gave it a special Oscar. They created one just for it. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think Jurassic Park is as big uh, as you, I think it's still as big as it, it could ever be. I think that it's well, that's not true. I think it's still huge. I think it's revered. I think it holds up. Um, but the legacy of the film Toy Story is monumental to where we are today in American animation. I think that's, I think that's true. I think uh, just by the tone of your voice, you are uh, dramatically right. underselling Jurassic Park's legacy as well. Why? I said, I listed like three things that it was. Yeah, I know. But it was a, you know, like Jurassic Park's legacy, like is still good. Sure, sure, sure. But Toy Story's legacy. No, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> Jurassic Park also not you know the franchise in a way is ongoing, but what's what's important to that is that they're bringing back all three of Laura Dern, uh, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum for the final Jurassic World film, yeah, Dominion, which comes out later and later as the years go on. 
Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the franchise is in a way still ongoing. It's, it just well, is still it's ongoing. It's cool because it's not Jurassic Park. It's Jurassic Park. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, find find me didn't the person they, that's confused by it, that. Didn't they change it to... Uh, um, Maybe they did just go to 2022. But in my yeah. mind, yeah, it's a 2022. In my mind, they had jumped like two more years. Um, Is it a... Summer of next year. I don't know how this hasn't occurred to me before. I'm sure many people have made this joke, but is it is it a real missed opportunity that they haven't called one of the uh, sequels yet the Lost Jurassic World? I think it is. I'm sure that's what the honest th- trailers will call it. Um, I think it's. I think it's just sitting there. On, well, that's a, it's a deeply hurtful thing to say. No, to their, their titles are very clever. <laughs> no, I honest know, trailers. Trailers, quality shit, but um, that is funny. It's just it's just sitting there on the table. It's a little clunky. The yeah, last fine. Of the world, but maybe that can be like you know how they had like the Lion King one and a half. Sure. Well, they about Timon they, and Pumbaa. They the, did have the that lot... like short film. They didn't have that yeah. short film uh, directed by Trevor O. You remember that? It was called Camp Crustaceous or something. Not Crustaceous, but something like that. Uh, it was about like a family camping a few months after all the dinosaurs were loose and they get attacked by dinosaurs. Oh sure, I do remember that. It was good. It was like ten minutes. It was like it's good. It's on line somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but that came out last year, the year before. Um, that that could have been called uh, the Lost Jurassic World. Yeah, been. it's just like it's guys don't leave it's money on the table. Right there. Okay, so what I, do you think? I I I think it's I think it's closer, uh, than you though the the Toy Story franchise obviously also still ongoing. Uh, some some executives might have you believe that they're done, but they're not done the the they, fourth they toy to... was the fourth one the highest grossing one is that what happened uh domestically it didn't sell as many tickets but technically got okay i so yeah that that hasn't lost steam i just i'm i i don't know that i'll ever forget the sudden shocking reminder back in 2014 or whatever uh-huh. Uh, that the Jurassic Park franchise has been like everyone in the world's favorite franchise for years and they just weren't telling us. What do you mean? When Jurassic World came out. Oh, it was 20, the, it was... uh, 20... 2012? No way. Look it up. There's, it's impossible that that was in 2012. Well, then, well, then it would have been 20. It was 2015. That's right. Okay. You you can check. You can double check. I was close then. Uh, no, you weren't. Yeah. It is. It is called Camp Cretaceous, by the way. Uh, oh, Cretaceous. I was saying cr- crustaceous. Oh yeah, yeah. You were like the Cretaceous crabs. period and crustacean like a crab. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, yeah, it looks like it was fifteen. It was fifteen. Yeah, I knew it. Op- I knew it was against an Avengers, and it made more money. That's okay. Why. It was just Age of Ultron. Yeah, I mean, truly, that exploded their success. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, but I still give it to Toy Story. Though, the, it, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it, the it revolutionized. 
how movies are made. It's fucking crazy. That is that is true. Uh, and I was I was just I was just about to point to the effects of Jurassic Park, which are kind of the opposite in that they didn't they didn't really revolutionize things no because things are uh, more cgi'd than ever these days but the degree to which they hold up today yeah sure and i uh, I do think that the there was some kind of innovation in computer generated technology with jurassic park uh i just don't know what it is specifically so yeah it's not as huge of an impact as the other one but i will uh yeah I, th- I think uh, I think I will ultimately agree that Toy Story gets my vote, though. For the for the for the for the sake of time, uh, Toy Story did uh, completely change animation as we know it. At least. So here. I have it winning. Yes, and, and I've got Jurassic it... Park up two to one still. Okay. No, no, because you gave Toy Story harder road as well. Oh, so yeah, not two to one, but I've got it tied two to two. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the legacy of the participants, I mean, this is really um, the Steven Spielberg conversation. I do think this also goes to Toy Story, and I'll tell you why. I think that if, if we can include by participants Pixar. I think we can. And I think it's for sure toys. I mean, they still use. Well, the Luxo lamp wasn't. Excuse me, wasn't um, in Toy Story, but uh, but I mean, it's it's their flagship genre, and uh, it's their only film series to have three, let alone four movies. And uh, it's what the, the you know brought them to the forefront. I mean, and Toy Story two solidified their reputation, but. Um, I think the two Pixar, I mean, it is their baby. It's it's their most important release, I think. I, th- I think that's true. But I think, you know, we've said many times over the weeks that Jurassic Park might be Steven Spielberg's uh, capital G greatest movie. I think that, that that's true, that it might be his capital G greatest movie, but it's not a clear choice for that at all. I think Toy Story is a clear choice for Pixar's most important film. I mean, for Steven, it's Jaws, Raiders, E.T., Jurassic, with a capital G. Sure. Uh, In whatever order you want. Yeah, I think it, I think that I think that's probably right. That Toy Story is definitively pixar's i uh, is it mm. is it harder to get into the conversation for spielberg's greatest of than pixar's greatest of what do you mean is it harder I, to get into that conversation? I mean like is it a is it a is it a bigger feat for Jurassic Park to be considered amongst Spielberg's greatest movies than it is for Toy Story to be Pixar's greatest movie? No, because Pixar has been consistently churning out masterpieces for 25 years. You know, because then you go into, what about Nemo? What about The Incredibles? What about Up? What about Inside Out? What about Coco? 
What about could, Toy Story 2? What about Toy Story 3? Could you not say the exact same thing about Steven Spielberg? Consistently churning out blockbuster masterpieces. No, that's true, but I, I think there, the I think there are there are more I think there's there are more Pixar options than there are Spielberg options. I You don't think all right, let's let's count. Okay. Real, realistically. Sure. For you could make the argument. I so what what did you say? Jaws, Raiders, Jurassic Park, E. T. Yeah. I I I would I would off the top of my head add in uh, yeah. Private Ryan and Schindler's List. I, I I don't think Schindler's List rises to the the the, the G that we're referring to, which is also money making. I I th- I, th- I think it it made it made enough money to be a a, a strong contender in this tournament and well, yeah that's true but it, it's under 100 and we're talking about movies that have grossed consistently over 250 with sure. e, with et e. going over 4 and uh, eventually after the movies and Jurassic uh, and jaws making 250 or something in 70 all right, but what about uh, what about Private Ryan? I, I don't think it's held in the same esteem. Blockbuster right, one so we'll, we'll we'll agree to disagree there. I think I think you're wrong on both counts, but that's fine. And then uh, Pixar. Uh, Toy Story two, Toy Story three, Nemo. Incredibles, yeah, another one from the later years, and Inside Out, a uh, Up, a Wally, you know, here and there. I maybe Inside Out in the in the conversation, and then Toy Story Six, then. All right, their their list might be big. I. I don't. I don't know how to properly argue it, other than in. I mean, gut, it's it's, it just, it's gonna it, be a gut feeling. It's up to you. If you pick Jurassic, Jurassic moves on. Yeah. In in my gut, just overall, like Steven Spielberg is a big is a bigger deal to movie history than Pixar. Whoa, that is a wild conversation. Not have time to no we, we don't to. jesus christ and there's, there's just there's no there's no way to uh made yeah. my head hurt I don't, I don't know i don't know what's up and what's down that's wild <laughs> well like i don't i don't know i don't know that the, i certainly don't know that that's true there's no way to decide that something like that is true but it it feels right in my gut okay i No, have, hang on, have, hang on. I have, Here's... Both, I have both discs here. Do you want me to hold them behind my back and you can say left or right? No. I mean, we've been we've been talking about the Spielberg Pixar thing uh, yeah. the whole time. The whole time. I <laughs> does does any does any of the Jurassic Park actors? I. Uh, 
factor in the same way that Toy Story does for Tom Hanks. Or Tim Allen. What's Tim Allen's filmography? This is Santa Claus? Yeah, basically. I just, I don't, I don't think Tim Allen, like, <laughs> sorry, but matters, I guess is the, the best way. He's just, he's not a, he's the, he's one of the stars of the movie, but he's not like a factor. In, a factor, a factor in what? Just in terms of like, importance to Tim Allen's legacy is not a big talking point to me, I guess. Okay. I think Buzz Lightyear is fucking huge for his legacy. No, no, I, no, I, Buzz Lightyear is huge for his legacy, but being huge for his legacy is, I don't think is a particularly big deal. I might, I might be wrong about that, but I like, I, Tim, Tim Allen just, is doesn't doesn't rate very highly for me in terms of like a star with an important legacy. Buzz Lightyear clearly at the top of it. I mm-hmm. uh, like maybe maybe Laura Dern. She's having quite the moment. Uh, there's obviously no Tom Hanks, but uh, she's uh, she's imp- she's important in her own right. A recent Oscar winner. Uh, Jeff Goldblum had uh, this launch day. This launch was this before Independence Day? I forget. Yes. So this launched a little brief uh, time as a huge star. But Woody is a uh, Woody is among the the ten most important Hanks performances, at least. Without without getting into the weeds, I think that is pretty safe to say. Would you agree? Yep. So maybe, maybe on that basis, because that, that that for me is probably enough to push Toy Story over the top. That sound can only mean one thing. Do you have an answer? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, my 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 vote is Toy Story. Another one seed goes down as Toy Story defeats Jurassic Park to move on to the Elite Eight and a Half. Wow, we have, in two weeks, the Elite Eight and a Half will begin Titanic. The winner of the Spike Lee division will face Mrs. Doubtfire, the winner of the Mel Brooks division, and the Silence of the Lambs. The Best Picture Horror Film, Victor, and the winner of the John Carpenter Division will face Toy Story, the winner of the Steven Spielberg Division. Incredible. Big matchups. Two weeks. All right. uh, Before we... Well, actually, no. I don't have any box office news. Godzilla will be calling. Still making money. I'll let you know as it's closer to 100 million domestic if it can do that. So let's uh, play a game. Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I'd say, in fact, that it's time to play everybody's latest favorite game. Did, Did it, it make, make more, more or less, less than, than Shrek, Shrek Forever's for after opening, opening weekend? weekend? Oh, did you fuck that up a little bit? Maybe a little. Okay, got it. <laughs> We're talking over each other. It's hard to say for sure. Uh, the important part is we all know how to play. I'll name a movie. You tell me whether its total gross was more or less than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend. 
For a bonus point, you can choose to either name the movie's director or an unspecified number of cast members chosen by me. Are you ready to play? Yes, sir. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Uh, as, as ever, not sure how I did here. Worried these might be a little too easy for you. Uh, we're starting off with the film Miracle. I like the sound of that. Ooh, I just uh, remembered who was in who. Uh, who the fuck? Aside from Kurt Russell. Um. Okay, first I have to guess whether it made more or less. I'm going Correct. to say it made more. Miracle made less. Okay, so definitely in the seventies, everybody. Definitely in the seventies. Pretty sure Miracle made seventy something. Got it. And it the might direct, have. The director, I believe, was. Gavin O'Connor? Absolutely right. That's right. Uh, of uh, Warrior and the Way Back fame. That's because I, I looked at the poster for The Way Back recently, and it was like from the director of Warrior and Miracle. And I was like, boy, this guy likes to get around sports, huh? He does. He's got, a, he's got a thing he's good at. And I say good for him. He doesn't do The Accountant so well. Well, uh, there were very few sports in The Accountant. Didn't he also direct... Uh, the uh the Wolverine movie. I I'll oh, tell you in a second. Origins. I oh X Men Origins Wolverine no no he didn't no he did not he also did Pride and Glory oh that's not what I was thinking of. he did uh, okay no he didn't who did X Men Origins I I'll tell you in a second I. Something with a G. Someone Was it Mick G? G? No. Someone with a G in their name. Uh, or in the Gavin O-Gavin. Hood. Gavin, see? Gavin. He was sure. a Gavin, too. Yeah, well done. Yeah, thank you. Bonus point. Uh, so, okay, got it. What's next? Uh, next up is The Day the Earth Stood Still. Obviously, the remake uh, from 2008. I, I remember it well. Uh <laughs> For a sad reason, less. I the day the year stood still made more. In fact, it's hard <laughs> when it's so close to the number. It is because I don't know the number. You know what would help is if I knew what it opened to, but I didn't know the actual gross of these movies. That would make it a game. Instead, I don't know either. I know that the data is still open, grossed maybe end of 60s, high 70s. And then I have to determine whether I think that it was in the same span as the high 60s, low 70s that I believe Shark Forever After also opened to. Well, we can. Very uh, difficult game. We can discuss that rule change for next week's edition of Did It Make I, More or Less Than Shrek Forever After's Open Weekend. Who the fuck directed that movie? It's very like I know it's somebody that I should know. It is somebody that you would know. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't I know. Just, I don't know if it should, but would. It's somebody that I used to know. That was a uh, quite the hit I, song, wasn't it? I was it? waiting for you to go. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, is the number of actors you're going to give me two? It is not I'm, two. I can give you two of them. It is uh, more than two. Well, then I'm screwed either way. 
So uh, we'll say actors. All right. Uh, the number is four out of a uh, quickly recognizable seven. You know, I saw this movie once. I had other things on my mind, and it was bad. It was bad. So Jennifer Connelly, Keanu Reeves, and I don't know the rest. All right. Uh, you could have gone with Kathy Bates, Jaden Smith, John Hamm, John Cleese, the Johns, uh, or your favorite coach and mine, Kyle Chandler. Mm. Uh, film also directed, by the way, by Scott Derrickson. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, so let's move on to the final one. Uh, one that's a little little bit of a trap, possibly. <laughs> because we're going with 2020's Doolittle. Less. More. Okay, they all made more this week. No, Miracle was less. Oh, I see. Doolittle did make more than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend. Okay. Uh, well, a, thousand, a couple of people directed that. So Was it a couple of people? No, they brought in somebody to fix okay. it. Okay. Yeah, they I've just, in, I've just they got brought one. brought in uh, Stephen uh, Gagan, who wrote like, Traffic to try to fix this kid film. Uh, I'll go with people. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you the point anyway, because uh, the one I had down was Stephen Gagan. Uh, He didn't actually direct it. Who else is on that? Nobody. He's the sole director credit on IMDb. I'll I'll look it up in a second. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, It is, uh, this is part of the trap is that the, uh, the voice cast is, Maybe Stephen Gagan was doing it and they brought somebody else to fix it. That might be okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, part of the trap was that the voice cast is so enormous, I would like seven names. Oh my God, dude. Okay. Uh, Downey Jr., Camille Nanjiani, uh, Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, John Cena. I don't know if these are correct anymore. Um John so Cleese. Far, so good. John Cleese in it? I let's see, he's not in the top cast, but is Sam Rockwell in it? I yeah, I think you're thinking of the one and only Ivan. I uh, no, we have no Sam Rockwell and Kate? no no oh, John Cleese oh, that I can uh, tell. Lupita Nyongo? I don't believe so. Kate Blanchett? No Kate Blanchett. I think I went a little high with seven. You definitely did. Um, the, I uh, mean, it's a huge cast and it came out a year so ago. You might have remembered. I didn't see it. It came out 15 months ago. <laughs> we all saw the trailer. It came out earlier than everything else we've been talking about. I, uh, Some ones uh, that you, I don't believe you've mentioned. Uh, Antonio Banderas, Michael yeah. Sheen, Jim yeah. Broadbent, okay. Jesse Buckley, uh, Rami Malek, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, uh, Ray Fiennes, Jason Manzukis as James the Dragonfly, 
uh, among others. But you do get the Stephen Gagan point because uh, I've decided that last one was unfair. Jonathan Liebsman came in to help direct me. Okay. Um, and then uh, they had a bunch of other writers come in to just a thousand people uh, come in to help write it. Wild. Stephen okay. Gagan, a rough directorial stretch. Why would he want to, why would they choose him to do this movie? He's the because he, person on Earth. Because he had recently directed the film Gold. I don't know. It's very strange. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about possible rule changes for next week. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah. Uh, come and gone from a theater near you, Brian. Are you ready to go back in time? Mm-hmm. Uh, this week we are visiting 2010. It's week 16, uh, the week of April 16th through the 18th. There are. Two films here. Uh, why don't you give me a clue? All right. Uh, we're looking uh, for the number one film as a uh, sort of off-the-beaten-path uh, superhero film. Kick-ass. Exactly right. Open with 24... Uh, a little high. It was nineteen point eight. Really? Yes. Uh, still enough to open at number one, just barely over the fourth week of How to Train Your Dragon, but uh, not super impressive. I. Uh, I loved Kickass. Yeah, I remember it being very good, and it was a a bit of a, a mini star maker. Yeah, it's a bunch of old We got Chloe Grace Moretz. It was a huge platform for Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. Remember who they stunt cast the sequel? Jim Carrey Mm -hmm. as the Flag Smasher. That's not right. (laughs) That's the other thing. Uh, Yeah, never saw the second one. I think I did. It's just not a good one. Yeah. I. The other film we're looking for uh, opened at number four. And was a comedy remake. Death at a funeral. Exactly right. Didn't even didn't even get thrown by the fact that I didn't say very recent comedy remake. Uh, well, since it's at number, five, I'll say eight. I uh, no much higher. It was sixteen point two. Number five was sixteen point two. Number four. The number five, five had fifteen point three. The third weekend of Clash of the Titans. Wow, that's a. Four million dollar difference in the first five movies. Yeah, it was quite the quite the low but evenly spread weekend. Uh, we also saw the limited release of Exit Through the Gift Shop, the Banksy mm-hmm. doc, uh, the Secret in Their Eyes, the which four, it must have been the uh, original. Oh, was because that was a uh, was a, a remake, remake as well, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I actually think this is just a completely different well maybe not a retired legal counselor writes a novel hoping to find closure for one of his past unresolved homicide cases yeah that's close enough so yeah i guess that must have been the original (coughs) uh and i think that's it for this weekend 
All right, here we go. Round of a Pods 7, the best films of 2020. Seven time we've done Round of a Pods, counting down the best films of the year. This year was no different. Sure, we only saw nine of these movies in theaters, six of them. But movies did come out. You had to pay for them at home. You had to find them through other means. You had to watch them on Netflix. But they did come out, and they were very good. I mean, this yeah. wasn't a lackluster year. I think that these movies that I have lower on my list are not in my 10. I think that the theatrical experience is just so important to movies in general that they ranked lower because I was on my phone or I was thinking about something else or I was, you know, folding laundry. I mean, whatever I was doing, you, you're not, you can't have your focus a hundred percent on uh, the film. You're not surrounded by it. You're not uh, enveloped in it. And so I think that affects a lot of these movies. So this is a weird list, but um, it's a weird year. So we're still doing it. Uh, as some of you might know, Oscar night is the end of the movie going year for me. So always, you know, the end of February, whatever. I have 14 months basically to watch the movies, and then I stop making a list. I stop putting this down. So that's next week. So here we go with our 10. Um, I did a lot of revising today. Of the okay. lower lower two, basically, mm -hmm. I actually revised a lot of like my fifteen, just the ten, basically nine through fifteen. I was flipping a bunch of stuff around, um, but this is where we landed. Let's uh, let's get into it. The best films that the best cinema had to offer. Noah, what was your number ten? I my number ten was The Invisible Man. Mm. I believe, uh, and in fact, am certain that it is the only movie on this list that I saw in theaters. Uh, wow, I have uh, <clears throat> just one as well that I saw in an actual movie theater. Yeah, I and just a both an incredibly good theater going experience and just an incredibly incredibly good uh, modern horror genre. I uh, <clears throat> a lot of fun. Elizabeth Moss is great, and I'm sorry I've got something caught in my throat here, so if I sound a little raspy, I. Uh, Elizabeth Moss is great. It's a great reimagining uh, of the concept for today with the invisibility suit and whatever. Uh, the Mike Flanagan guy from the show, uh, the uh, the Haunting of Hill House. He's nice and uh, he's nice and good as a slimy weirdo, uh, and it's got that. Uh, oh, the actor. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, uh, from Mike first Flanagan. I, I guess I both shows. Yeah. First, I thought you were confused hmm. that. Maybe Mike directed it. No, I uh, no, just one of his collaborators. Yep. And it's got a what uh, one of the one of the best scenes of the year. Did you award it scene of the year? Is that it was uh, it was it was my scene of the year? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that it uh, it falls into my number ten. Love that movie. Uh, it's a good choice. My number ten is Promising Young Woman, a film we watched uh, mere days ago. Two, in fact. Um. And just a visceral and uh, powerful and yet playful uh, take on the revenge fantasy genre. Um, what I admired most about the movie was its style, its colors, its editing, its camera movements, its music choices were so on point that it, it, it was a movie that was clearly having so much fun reveling in telling a very serious topic. Um, but 
you know, balancing that act with the fact that you can play with serious issues and it, it made the movie an experience uh, more so than a film. Uh, the casting of traditionally nice guy actors in predatory roles is inspired. Carrie Mulligan obviously is terrific. The script is really tight from Emerald Fennel, and I really just respected the uh, the uniqueness of uh, the look and the sound of the film itself. Um, there wasn't anything else really like it uh, last year. I think that's a uh, I think that's a good way to put it that there was nothing else really like it. Uh, one that did not land quite as well for me, uh, but is a has been a divisive movie if ever there was one uh, and i i full <clears throat> god i muted myself i tried to cough it out you it, muted yourself because when i said promising woman you went <clears throat> oh so yeah i muted myself in the uh, the recorder but not on the Skype oh, call I'm, oh uh, okay so it won't it won't it won't be on the Tricky. feed but i'm so i'm sorry for shocking you like that all the same i uh, yeah, didn't didn't land as well for me, but I totally understand why it works for people and how mm. it uh, deserves a spot on a list like this. And uh, can't argue that Carrie Mulligan was great in it. And if she ends up winning uh, Best Actress, I uh, I will not complain. Who knows who's going to win Best Actress? I mean, Carrie Mulligan won the Critics' Choice. Viola Davis won the SAG. Mm. Frances McDormand won the BAFTA. And Audra Day, Andrew Day, uh, yes. won the uh, Globe. So it could really be anybody. Literally anyone but Vanessa Kirby, I guess. I mean, I think it's time for Vanessa Kirby to win one so that and everyone has and one. And the Oscars, listen, she could. I mean, there are like five categories this year, Noah, that people yeah. are just like, I don't know, pick one. Yeah. Who knows? Very it's exciting. exciting. It's very exciting. So it should be. And it's nice we're not having a goddamn Oscar party, truly, if anybody wants to watch with me on Skype, you know. Um, uh, that I don't have to fill out a ballot. And yeah, just, hope just I get it. Pick right. it random. Yeah. Um, what's your number nine? My number nine is Time, the uh, Oscar-nominated documentary uh, that again we just watched uh, maybe a week ago at this point, but very recently. Uh, I have that a lot. Very. Uh, yeah, this is one of the. Uh, well, uh, this is our uh, now we're now we're even for a promising young woman. Is that a lot lower? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't actually have a full oh, list right. going. Have a list. Uh, but yes, it's a lot lower. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the thing that I found so affecting about time was that while it <clears throat> it is a documentary about sort of the uh, the injustice of the prison system about a uh, a family the patriarch of which is uh, in jail for 60 years 65 maybe that's, for that, a that's uh, the, bank robbery that, that's a sentencing yes he's he's yes. not currently in jail for 60 years he's sentenced No yeah he's years. yeah in the in the in the movie he's been it's sentenced like 20, for 60 right? years and they are like 16 uh, or 20 or something yeah they something like that yeah uh, and they are fighting to uh, to get that uh, to get that fixed and to get him out of jail uh, but it's not it's not about the facts of the case. It's not about how this specific case is is an injustice and is and is wrong. It's about how it affects the family. It's about how whether whether the sentencing is too much or too little or whether he should be in jail at all. 
this uh, this act of putting someone in jail uh, hangs imagine, over. Can you imagine if the movie was about how it was too light of a sentence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably would not be as well regarded. No. <laughs> I, but this this thing hangs over every member of this family like a like a weight around their neck at all times. It it completely shapes who uh, his uh, his wife, the filmmaker, uh, whose name uh, I unfortunately don't have down. I'll find it. Go ahead. I. Uh, it completely shapes who she becomes. Uh, she she turns into a an activist. Uh, every 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 waking free moment of her life is devoted. Sybil to this Fox cause. Richardson. Yes. Uh, her her child their children uh, who grow who grow up spend basically their whole lives uh, with their father in jail, completely shaped by this in every way. One of them grows up. <laughs> to uh you know want to focus on criminal justice this isn't a you know it's not even something like a a death in the family that you know it it wreaks it wreaks its havoc and then uh will still occasionally pop up as the years go by and the immediate pain lessens uh, to really hit you this is just a a huge gaping active presence in their lives uh, and i think that was incredibly well communicated and a, a very interesting way to look at it yeah i i didn't think so as much it didn't work for me um i do think that that the specificity of it uh works in its favor and i can't fault you for what you said about it because i think that it is it is very powerful um i just had some issues with some of the choices the filmmakers made but uh my number nine is fellow best documentary feature nominee Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. That was a uh, very late cut for me. Um, an absolutely wonderful and heart-wrenching, the only movie I think this year that made me cry, uh, documentary about, well, what's, what's fascinating is, is the evolution of uh, the film. It starts out about, which truly could have been just the entire documentary about this camp, and I'll find the name of it because I think it's important. Uh, um, Jeanette. Yes. I just, I just watched this the other day, so it's still uh, fresh in my mind. Uh, Jeanette spelled oddly, but uh, yeah, the Jeanette camp in uh, New York uh, for uh, differently abled um, kids. And uh, uh, them, and this is in the 60s, them talking about their feelings and the amount of care and patience because some of these children have speech impediments and, and, and the like. Um, but yet they're all around a table and they're talking about what it means to be differently abled in their communities and what it means to them. And they're connecting on this way they haven't been able to. And I really was really stricken by the fact that during those scenes, the camera just sits there, you know, and, 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 and you hear these, these, these people who can't, um, speak at a normal cadence or just regular cadence, their whole sentence we wait for them to get it out because that is what's fair and that is what is needed and it was really touching to watch and then the movie transitions into this out of this really important place uh for these kids um and they're doing things teenagers do they're making out they're doing drugs and uh there's a great bit noah where they uh there's like a crab infestation oh yeah love the they have to separate them and you 
They have, they're just like shouting at each other from across, but how much they missed each other and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was great. I loved the crabs scene. It's really funny. And then the movie turns and it, it follows them out of this camp as adults and how each one of them, basically all of them, become involved in this fight for the Disability Act of uh, it's the 70s, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and they really all kind of uh, uh, go to San Francisco, these headquarters, and then it becomes a, a movie about inequality and a fight for inequality, Noah, that we don't see um, in movies or TV shows, fiction or nonfiction. We don't hear about this struggle um, that this other sector of the community has. And boy, is that fascinating in and of itself. And there's a sit-in. And it's it's this beautiful emotional journey that you think is going to be about a camp, but it is really about a revolution and about uh, equal rights and about justice. And it's just poetic in the way that it evolves into that and everything connects together um, and just incredibly touching. And uh, and it, it, it stayed with me and it will for a while. I think it's absolutely a must watch. Uh, it's my number nine. I agree. It's a... Uh... It's a very cool movie. I mentioned this to you uh, on the phone the other day. I was yeah. very impressed by just how it was put together mm-hmm. and how it, it started out as a small story about a camp that was very interesting and then transitioned into a this much bigger story about this political fight that was, in fact, just a reflection of the smaller story that it had already told. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't. I think just generally, I don't watch documentaries as well as I watch narrative movies. I kind of come out the other side of them being either like, that was a really interesting story right. or it wasn't. I, but I just, I don't, I don't always uh, appreciate the form and the craft in the same way, but this was one where it, uh, it did really, really jump out at me in a, uh, in a way that was very interesting. That is Absolutely. A, and I think that it helps in the fact that it was telling the story about fighting for equal rights in a sector of the community that we just we don't get stories about that you know ever and so it's just like this thing we're like oh my god i guess this was happening simultaneously and uh, and everything it's, it's really great it's on netflix um you should watch it. and also the fact that 90 60 of that footage actually 80 percent of that footage would you agree is footage that the filmmakers didn't film themselves it is old footage that's true from uh, people's yeah, yeah. home movies from news stories from other people who were at the camp. And so they built this story around footage that they couldn't have shot themselves and made such a cohesive film. I hadn't very even, uh, <clears throat> hadn't even really considered that, but that is also very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, also relative to something like my octopus teacher, great choice for the director to be like, I'm the star of this movie for the first like 20 minutes. And then mm. I'm going to fuck off. Yeah, and it'll be about other people. But even he, he is a subject. One of oh, the yeah. filmmakers yeah, is no, he a was subject. A... He was at the camp, and so he is allowed. Whereas, yeah, no, it, uh, it my octopus teacher, which would have made Noah's five worst of the year, I'm, I'm guessing. Yes, yes, it would. Uh, also nominated for best documentary film is trash. Might yes. win, but trash. Um, Crip Camp is also the second uh, feature that uh, um, documentary feature that the Obama. Uh, production company Higher Ground purchased from Sunday and Salem was American Factory, which ended up winning yeah. the Oscar. All right, Good. your number uh, eight, Noah. Good eyes for them so far. My number eight, and uh, I will thank you for uh, recommending I watch this movie before we go, is Wolfwalkers. I told you. That I... was the last movie Noah watched, and I, I watched it last night, and today I said, well, you might want to watch Wolfwalkers. Yeah. 
Uh, listen, uh, first of all, objectively speaking, uh, absolutely beautiful movie, uh, just visually. The animation is stunning. It's a, a very stylistically distinct thing that I yeah. love watching. And a very well-told story about uh, just about friendship and about adolescence and about, uh, you know, finding who you are and all that. Uh, on a more personal level, uh, just really, really suited to my interests. A uh, Celtic fairy tale. Nothing... Yeah, a, Cel- a Celtic fairy tale about the spirit of the forest. Like I, how much just is the, the spirit of the forest ingrained in your personality? I don't know about that. Oh yeah, big, uh, big interest. And think of think of something like Princess Mononoke is a movie that I could oh, not stop like thinking in, about. Okay, you mean like in in fiction? I, I I I more meant like, are you like you just love forests? But you you more mean like the, you know how they play out in the film, like the witch and shit, like stuff that takes place in forests. You're very. Yeah, but but even like literally like sto- stories about like the 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 spirit, the guardian of the uh, of the forest okay, sure. against the encroaching forces of uh, of man and machinery and hey, stuff. You're a big, you're a big uh, fan of the fucking trees and all the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another uh, another great example. Uh, just very very well tailored to this uh, to this portion of my personality. I really fucking loved watching it. Unfortunately, it's on Apple TV Plus, yeah. which I'm guessing is the least owned major streaming service. I think it is. But, um, uh, yeah. you know, maybe get a free trial or something. Seek it out. You know, I watched it. Noah, what would you think my reaction to the film would be? Do you think it's up my alley? Do you think it's something that I would respond to generally? I, I mean... I don't think it's like specifically suited to your tastes. I don't think it toots your horn. Uh, I I mean, I think it's I think it's a very good movie. So I think you came out the other side thinking, oh, that was good. And uh, like Noah should watch that because he will think it's outstanding is my prediction. Well, Noah. Yeah. It's it's my number 15 of the year. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's my choice for the Oscar over Soul. Outstanding. A, a lovely little surprise. It, it it took me a bit to get used to the animation. I'm just so, you know, the, the 2D stuff is just, it, sometimes it's hard for me to really like zero in on attention-wise. Yeah. Um, and just the beginning is very like, you know, oh, she's getting bullied in the square. You know, all like, I want to be a hunter. Like, I don't know, whatever. Once we get to the wolf walkers and shit, first of all, and I'm going to look up her name because she deserves to be shouted out. Um, uh, I do want to mention that as the film went on, the style of the film and specifically the the interpretation of their spirits, uh-huh. um, very powerful. So the ending where you know the spirits are hugging and shit, that kind of thing, very very powerful. Um, uh, but I want to uh, single out Ava Whitaker as the Wolfwalker, the daughter. Okay. Uh, I thought she was a remarkable voice performance in this movie. I agree. I thought she was incredible. And for a little kid, I'm guessing she's not my age. So I'm guessing she was a little kid. Just a terrific performance. Uh, no, once that movie gets going, I think it's absolutely terrific and quite the fucking adventure. Um, and it's touching. And it has a very cool ending. 
the ending, I mean, the ending reminded me of, you know, the Disney endings of the Pokemon oh, sure. and shit and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, very, very Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but the the wolf stuff, I just thought it, it was just magical. And so, yeah, it, I, I, it's a great choice, and I'm glad that I was able to get under the water because I didn't know if it would make your 10, but I'm glad it does. It is my uh, my 15. Um, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh, my number eight, uh, yeah, the only movie that I've seen in a theater on this list, The Invisible Man. All right. I was, know, I, I was trying to think of what else it might be, because just what the way you put that was like, oh, yeah, I've also well, seen did, a movie want, on here. I and didn't I'm like, want to tip my hat, you know. What is it, Onward? <laughs> it's Bad Boys the for way Life. Back? <laughs> the Way only, Back was good. There were only seven movies we watched in theaters. Underwater, Bad Boys for Life, Birds of Prey, The Invisible Man, Sonic the Hedge. Well, I saw Sonic the Hedge. Sure. The Way Back and Onward. Everything else was at home. Uh, no, The Invisible Man. What a terrific bit of genre filmmaking. I mean, that's how you do a remake. That's how you tell a story. You make it central to the film's ideals, to the idea of feeling trapped in a relationship, of feeling gaslighted, of feeling tricked, of feeling manipulated. That is the central emotional component in the character, and therefore it fits that the villain is The Invisible Man. Terrific. Not only that, it's tight like a it's 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 paced like a watch it is so it moves effortlessly through its story it has genuine surprises and shocks the sister scene is one of the most remarkable theater scenes we may ever have in our lives it was just just gorgeous to watch that with a crowd and be surprised with everybody else um elizabeth moss gives a star turn in it she's still in my five for best actress and the film is so smartly written. The music, the score is, it's in my five for score. The score is terrific and haunting. The cinematography is cold and eerie. I mean, this is just atmosphere on atmosphere done to the highest level. Uh, incredible genre filmmaking. This is very cool. This is our first crossover. I imagine those are going to become more prominent as we get into like the top fives. Uh, uh, maybe. We'll I, see. I, I suspect... Actually, yeah, I'm. I suspect that there are three movies uh, left that we match up on, just in the list at all. I'm gonna say one. Two... I think there's a good chance that we have one. Well, who cares what I think? Okay, uh, what's your number seven? I care what you think. Okay, I think that there's a chance we have one, two, three, four, five. Five. Wow. All right. Maybe. Uh, my number seven is uh, apologies to the invisible man, but my new favorite horror film of the year possessor. Uh, another film I watched this afternoon. Uh, How many more the, of those you got, by the way? Uh, that's it. Okay. Uh, the, the dark and the wicked quite good. Uh, not, uh, not quite top 10 material. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but good. Super creepy. It's like a sort of like a modern day witch esque thing when you say modern day you mean the setting is modern day or yeah because which came out five years ago yeah yeah the setting instead instead of being in like the 1200s uh (laughs) might be a little too early (laughs) 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 whatever they i guess you like it's 18 something i think you're no i I think that's definitely pre-america it up i'm looking it up my actual guess is the 1600s. It is. It's 1630 New England. Okay. Uh, 
Anyway, Possessor from uh, director Brandon Cronenberg, son of David, uh, is incredible, incredibly good. A uh, very interesting sci-fi horror movie about a uh, a group of assassins that will uh, possess somebody as a way to covertly carry out their mission. The, the easiest way. Uh, well if you have the if you have the technology uh it seems great except for the parts that are awful <laughs> uh has a lot of uh, a lot of sort of cronenberg hallmarks you know the the practical uh effects the very uh very like tangible sort of viscera and gore but uh without the sort of like a like gee whiz isn't this cool like look at look at how fucked up that fly is. Isn't that awesome? Sort of vibe yeah. that uh, I associate with David. Uh, just some some truly horrific shit. Multiple scenes that had me sitting alone in my living room, going ah ah. Uh, <laughs> and there's some uh, I won't I won't say any specifics, but there's some business with a meat cleaver near the end. <laughs> uh, wild stuff. It's really great. Highly, uh, highly recommend Possessor. I do feel like I'm becoming desensitized to that kind of violence. Like a meat cleaver to somebody's face or whatever, just over and over uh-huh. again. I feel like I've seen that recently in movies. That something to that extent. The the way the way the meat cleaver is employed in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it up the butt? No, oh. <laughs> it is not. I but still leaves an impression. Mm. It, it leaves many impressions okay. on, a, on one chest. Um, my number seven is Sound of Metal. Wonderful. Another uh, future crossover. Um, a film that I think is the best mm-hmm. edited film of the year. You know, most of the times you say good editing comes when you don't notice the editing. But more and more so, the editing comes when it's adding to the story when it's a part of the story and this not only the sound design of this film but the editing itself is just brilliant it's tender it's it's impactful you feel the effects of what's happening to this man it features three pitch perfect performances by olivia cook paul racy and the stunning liz ahmed in a, a brilliant portrayal but um it's a film about acceptance and compromise in the face of tragedy. And it is uh, a very, you know, no pun intended, but it is a very quiet movie uh, and intimate. And it is just filled with three heartfelt performances in a movie that cares about its subject and you feel it and uh, just impeccably made sounding metal on Amazon. I think there's, uh, I think there's probably something to be said for the sound of metal being such a, uh, a quiet movie. A lot of it is told in uh, sign language and closed captions. Right. Uh, just that like it, it inherently combats the sort of at home desire to look at your phone for a couple of minutes or uh, yes. just let your attention wander. Yeah. It, it, it is a movie that you cannot take your eyes off. It is. Uh, it was one of the, uh, one of the more captivating movies that I saw all year. And I do want to point out that the title, not only being just the uh, the idea that he's, you know, he's in a metal band, whatever, but it is what would be used in the subtitles for the sound metal bands. Interesting. So if you were deaf, 
and watching some of the subtitles and you, there was a clanking, it might say sound. Effect. I, uh, I did notice at one point the captions when I had uh, paused the movie said sound of nature. See? So and I was like, that sounds like a more pleasant movie. So when he's playing his music, it might just say sound of metal. Who's yeah. But that, that just gives the title. So, yeah. Yeah. Greater resonance. Number six. Number six for me is another round. A uh, movie that I was very impressed by. That's a stupid thing to say. I'm very impressed by all of these movies, but particularly because the premise is so uh, kind of absurd that I didn't, I didn't expect it to work super well. I, that these, uh, these guys all like hear some study about how being a little drunk is good. And so decide what if we're drunk all the time? Wouldn't that go well at our jobs at school? Uh, and it does for a minute. Uh, but this this movie full of uh, full of great performances. Mads Mikkelsen is uh, particularly good as he always is. Uh, I think just kind of perfectly builds on itself. It's telling a story that you can you can really just map out from the premise immediately. Uh, that this this will be fun for a minute, but then there will be some consequences to uh, getting drunk all the time. Perhaps they will drink a little too much. Perhaps they will drink a lot too much. Uh, And the way it culminates in that scene where Mads Mikkelsen finally dances. Your your scene of the year. Was my scene of the year and uh, was uh, in fact something that they had been building to. It was not suddenly Mads Mikkelsen dances. Isn't that fun? It was actually a little thread throughout. And so when it happened, I found myself going, oh, good. And then uh, the choreography of the scene just just really kind of knocked my socks off. Uh, very, uh, I, w- I would say probably my biggest surprise on this list. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot too. Not as much as you did, but Mads is great. It's funny and it's touching and it has the best ending of a movie maybe this year. It's really great. My number six is my second documentary on this list, Dick Johnson is Dead. Uh, A movie that is irreverent, that is uh, unique in its style, um, directed by, with a truly wonderful flourish by Kristen Johnson um, about... Her father, a retired clinical psychiatrist who is uh, suffering from dementia, and uh, she's capturing his life. Um, Her mother had passed prior, and it's a documentary about him interspersed with fictional scenes of his death, in comical ways, a piano falling on his head. What were some other ways, though? Let's watch this along. I... Sure. Uh, the piano fell on his head. An air conditioner uh, fell out of a window. Uh, right. He was mugged on the street and like stabbed in the neck. That's right. That's right. That's right. That was uh, a big squib scene. Yeah. And he then, had a heart attack in his office. I'll and stop then as, now. And then as soon as um, that scene ends, it cuts and you see the making of that scene. You've seen Kristen Johnson going over the stunt with her dad and the stunt people and him working out squibs. And so it's a movie about them bonding in the face of uh, and her facing his eventual demise, and him in a way as well. Um, he's a bundle of joy 
but he's very sad at times, and the movie doesn't shy away from that. But it was one of the more inventive documentaries I've ever seen. There's images of his fantasies that are so joyous and colorful and bright and mesmerizing. Um, and then the movie is about dealing with the fact that at some point those around you will die and, uh, and how that doesn't have to be a sad thing, but it is. Um, so the movie is funny and it's happy and it's joyful and it's sad and it's, uh, makes you contemplate life in a really unique way. I had never seen a documentary like it. Um, and I was really swept up in, uh, in this man. Um, and it has one of the more brilliant, and uh, endings for a documentary that really structures whether you even want to call it that bit a documentary, but uh, it has fun with the audience as well. So it's yeah, it's on Netflix and it's an incredible, um, unique documentary experience that I recommend. That was a uh, it was a very cool movie. He's an incredibly interesting subject for a doc. This was also a uh, relatively late cut for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably would have ended somewhere in the fifteen-ish range. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, uh, we were, we were talking about this the other day. I've got, I've got a little, uh, a sort of tick, a personal tick in me. Uh, it's like me with, um, uh, people losing things that they have when they have so little old people stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, that I, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of these videos like on Facebook of, a soldier comes home and surprises their kid at their baseball game. Uh, and it's, I don't like those. I think they're bad. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, mo- it's a thing. It's a moment. That's not for me. It's not meant for me to be there. It's a very private and complicated thing. I don't like it. I don't want to watch it. Uh, this movie is not that to be clear uh, because it is a, they, they tell this story with great intention. There is a universality to the, facing of death and the relationship with aging parents and all of that. Uh, but I could, I could not help from having that, uh, that little uh, displeasure ticked in me involuntarily a little bit, which is, I think the only thing that kept it out of my 10, but it there's, is a, it is a very cool movie. There's one scene in particular, and this is ending this segment on a sad note, but is it the scene where they're going to leave for New York? And Dick just has like that breakdown about like missing his wife and shit. And she like now I she like puts on the camera and hugs him and stuff. I would I wouldn't say that there was any like it wasn't any any particular scenes about just kind of the premise of like okay this this woman is addressing the impending death of her father through making this movie. But how unbelievably happy are those fantasy scenes of the confetti and his giant oh, they're, they're incredible. smile on his face? Just I, absolute yeah. life affliction. I 100% recommend this movie. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, watch it. Your number five, nice. top five. Top five. Uh, my number five is First Cow. Okay. A, uh, a movie that uh, I also did a little adjusting. This, uh, this movie grew a little bit in my estimation over the course of the past couple of days. Uh, first of all, I should, should win every production design costuming award that can be given out and they should create new ones. I was, I, I felt that this movie had such a specific and well-defined sense of place and time. Just this little, this little like shitty shanty town that they're in in Oregon, 
uh, when they're before, you know, the way they put it in the movie is uh, before history got there. I uh, just just compl- was painted like a masterpiece of a picture. I, I I could not have felt more grounded and in place during this movie. I, and beyond that, I think is just a, a beautifully crafted movie uh, about the friendship of these two. Uh, I can't think of a better word than oddballs. That's not what I'm going for. Uh, outcasts a little bit. You've the, the mild mannered cook, the, uh, the Chinese immigrants, in uh, very early America uh, just forging, forging out on their own and starting a, uh, starting a business and growing and bonding together. The, the scenes just that they shared at, uh, at the cabin when they're first getting to know each other. And uh, I've already, I've already forgotten, uh, forgotten both of their names. They're strange names. I think it's, uh, I think it's like cookie and Kung. Uh, and it's you know it's Kung's cabin. He goes out and starts making a fire, and Cookie's just wasn't, standing wasn't around. Wasn't that the real name of the real estate agent in The Simpsons? Cookie, yes, Cookie Quan. Cookie Quan. Uh, okay, got yes. it. Yes. Uh, and Cookie just like starts tidying up. He starts sweeping the yeah. floor. Uh, and it was just a just an incredibly endearing movie, full of uh, small little touches like that throughout. Uh, just just very very impressively made and i can't i cannot say enough about how perfectly crafted the setting was i was just just seriously blown away by it you know uh kelly reichardt who made it is specializes in these very slow burn character pieces about the low yes. middle class and she's terrific uh so this movie on its face might not be for everybody. It moves incredibly slowly. There's not a lot of plot or dialogue. But, and I say this in the most mature way possible, it's just a delightful film. Yeah, I think that's for, I think all of those things are right. It is just a delight. If, if you can let it suck you in, if you can let it wash over you and just go on this journey with these guys who move at a slow pace in life, uh, it's just charming. Yeah, um, and it's 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 really really good. It also very briefly features Aaliyah Shawkat, yes, which is a is a weird joke that uh, works but was unexpected. It's my number seventeen. Okay, it's a good spot. My number five is the father. The uh, latest cut for me. This um, I do know sits at eleven. Okay. Uh. A film that is a drama, but plays out like a thriller. It it is a horror film. It is about someone who is mentally deteriorating. uh, You don't know what is fiction, what is reality, just as he doesn't. It takes place in one setting. Anthony Hopkins gives one of the best performances of, of recent years. He really is just stunning. It's a performance unlike anything that you've seen him do and that you thought that he could do. Uh, Olivia Coleman is perfect in it. Everyone's perfect in it, but the dialogue of the film, the editing, the production design, how when he's differentiating between these two possible realities, the, 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 the house is slightly different in each one. 
Uh, and then the final conclusion and the final breakdown is just haunting. I mean, this is this is a scary movie. It is it's built like a thriller, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, and it is just taught from start to finish. Just a, a masterclass of uh, very very unorthodox suspense. Yes, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised to find that this movie had like style and intention about it. Yeah. I was 100% expecting to be watching Still Alice again, which is a, a you know big major drama from five or so years ago that I think it's is just not pretty... Not very good. No, it's not very good. It's just pretty rote and by the book with a with the a big Oscar... Uh, they finally got Oscar-y, Julianne Moore, her Oscar, yeah. Yeah, performance at the center. And that's what I thought this was going to be too, and it was not at all. No. This was a a much tighter, much more stylized movie that was still like you say about the, about the horrors of what it's like to uh, deteriorate in your later years. Uh, and a, a performance that's both like prime, like Academy stuff. This is very like capital a acting yes. in a, in a big dramatic premise, but done with such a, deafness by fucking Anthony Hopkins and it's, it's Hannibal what, Lecter himself. What I noticed about his performance was that it's his whole body. I, I watched his hands a lot Yeah, as he would kind of figure things out. He was always moving something. It was his entire body was performing. It was just very, very subtle, interesting work in that regard. Uh, number four, Noah. Uh, my number four uh, was, I believe, your number seven, "Sound of Metal." That is my was it seven, seven for you? I uh, not uh, not much to say that hasn't already been said. Uh, I do want to echo uh, that Riz Ahmed in a movie full of great performances, uh, and by a performance given by an actor who I already think is great. It's 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 hard to come out of a movie with somebody you think is good being like, "Holy shit." they were good, but holy shit, Riz Ahmed was good. Yeah. I uh, just completely and fully embodied, uh, that character. Uh, and I'll, I'll say again, made one, one of the most captivating movie experiences for me last year. I, I, I could hardly take my eyes off it. And talk about uncomfortable, you know, the scene in London at the party. Oh my God. Where he just, he can't hear what anyone's saying and he's trying to just act as if like, this is his new life as if he's back to what he was doing yeah. with his girlfriend a real uh, a real reflection him. of like him first at the uh at the the camp at the compound right when he's sitting around he doesn't know any doesn't know any sign language can't read lips yeah. is just a a newly deaf person sitting amongst a, a bunch of seasoned and experienced deaf yeah. people uh and and it and he was a good. What I liked about it was that he was a good guy. You know, there there wasn't a moment where he was like mean. Like there's, for instance, you know, he's sitting with kids in a classroom to learn yeah. sign language. He's not mean to them. He like immediately like makes jokes with them and like is cool with them. And he teaches them how to drum. You know, it's it's it wasn't like a transition of like he's a dick and I was going to learn to be nice. He's a nice guy. He just yeah. Had there was a really there was a, there was a little bit of that right at the beginning, which is well, fully sure. understandable because if you were suddenly deaf, you'd be a little ornery too. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, just an inc- an incredibly good movie. Also, Love what that. a choice of him smashing that donut and then like balling it into a circle and then hitting it again. I mean, what a choice yeah. that is. Just wonderful character work. My number four is Spike Lee's Defied Bloods, a movie that held on to the number one spot on my list for many, many months since June when we originally saw it. Uh, I think this is uh, just a visceral, vibrant piece of filmmaking from Spike Lee. Uh, I think his most energetic in years. Just the a film about so many ideas, about the contrast of cultures, about these two sectors of uh, underserved populations having to fight each other and then having this weird mutual respect that they're uh, seen as, 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 you know, less than by the majority of people. And, and, and I just... That and it's a treasure hunt movie, and it's a movie about camaraderie, and it 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 it, it has. I don't know how I can't have a movie on my top ten list that includes the best performance of the year. So it has to be here. Delroy Lindo, one of the great snubs for best actor since like Paul Giamatti in Sideways. Um, the best performance of the year by a mile. He is riveting in this he is powerful dynamic strong vulnerable the ending 20 minutes is some of the best acting you may ever see he is just gives a tour de force a performance for the ages he'll be remembered for it uh forever he should be so proud of it but this movie is is spike at, at its height of color of sound of camera work um and it's a movie about uh, uh friendship and, and what these uh these cultures mean to each other and to themselves and just boy oh boy it is a powerful exciting film to watch yeah i i agree with all of that uh outside of delroy lindo the performances out of jonathan majors out of clark peters oh for sure of course yes yeah yeah. were were very very good i loved the way chadwick's great he has a very oh god yeah it's very limited role it's not as you know People were thinking he'd get double nominated. I don't think that's right because he's not, you know, he's in this for such a short amount of time. But the other, sure. the, the the other, you know, members of the, the team are just as good. Yeah. I, only reason it didn't make my list is because of my uh, relative distaste for the ending, which we've yeah. talked about. But it's yeah. still, a, it was a, it was a late cut. It would have ended up in the top 15. Yeah. Uh, because of everything else that you said. A, the, the the first the first like i guess not first because i saw the invisible man before that certainly the first great movie of quarantine for me uh yes i would agree it was a was a very very exciting sort of return to modern movies after you know i'm sure some things were still coming out on vod but i wasn't watching them right uh came out came out at a great time was a a great movie a great pick our final three films, I know we have two that are the same. I have no idea what your third one might be. Yes, it will... Uh, At all. Not so, be appearing oh, on the what? list. I, I do know what your third one is. Okay. Although you say I, it might not be it's not gonna be on the list. That means that you don't think I've seen it. So that, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, then no. We're not have, oh, I mean, maybe you've seen it. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know everything you've watched. I uh, well, it's not going to be my number three because we've watched that together. It's Minari. That's my number three as well. Very cool. Love a matchup. Yeah, I think it's going to be the only time we'll match up here. Um, very exciting. Yeah, let's talk about Minari. I just a 
like pitch perfect story about family, a beautifully rendered emotional, just little slice of life. This family, uh, this Korean family trying to start a Korean farm in, uh, in the heart of America. I forget. Are they in yeah, Arkansas or Missouri or, uh, one of those places. Uh, they're in like Colorado. They're close to Texas. Okay, so maybe it's like in, Louisiana. Oh, oh, they they are in Arkansas. Right. Okay. I. Uh, yeah, just full of full of great performances. Uh, Stephen Yun is the uh, the most commonly recognized, but uh, is a uh, is the mo- the mother's Oscar nominated as well. No, is that correct? No, no she no, missed out. She got not. the Globe, uh, the Globe she, nomination. She uh, she was in my five until recently, but no, she's not. Um, no, it is just uh, yeah. Stephen Yun, Alan Kim, and the grandmother's name I don't have this. I uh, Yun Jung Yun, yeah, uh, as the uh, Stephen Yun's mother-in-law. Uh, terrific performances from the whole family. Will Patton also shows up to give a. Uh, a real, a very specific, but very good performance, full of choices, uh, in a uh, a fun role. But really, really, just for me, a just per- perfectly captures a a beautiful little emotional story. Yeah, I uh, it, it is a, a beautifully crafted film in every respect. The cinematography, it's epic in scope and in storytelling. Um, even though it's about a small family uh, over the course of a few months. It's not grand in any way, but it feels just as important as epic as anything else because it is. It's people trying to start a life together. It's people trying to make it in America. It's 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 people going after um, the dream, and, and it's the struggles that encompass that. The performances are all great. The music, the fucking score is outstanding. And uh, it will really just sweep you off your feet um, and charm you. And uh, nothing plays out conventionally in it. Um, and it, it makes it surprising and tender. It's just a beautiful film. Absolutely true. Number two. Oh, God, that's right. I have to go again right away because we matched. All right. My number two, uh, a movie that uh, when I watched it, immediately shot to the top of my list until it was a uh, dethroned at the last minute the vast of night I uh, that. you have not seen this i right. thought you were gonna i was scrolling through when i said i think i know i thought it was gonna be palm springs okay i no palm palm springs would have been in my top 20 ish uh maybe top 15 i forget when that uh, when that lost out loved that movie but the vast of night uh, a small, uh, a small, I believe, debut movie. I'm going to look up the filmmaker's name. Uh, telling a little, uh, a sort of 50s sci-fi story. The whole town is gathered for the basketball game at the local high school, except for the uh, the high schooler who mans the town radio, the DJ, and uh, his friend who operates the switchboard that night and they start hearing a strange noise and some things start happening. And the story builds from there. 
just I say that Sound of Metal was one of the most captivating movies of the year, uh, only because uh, The Vast of Night was the most captivating movie of the year for me. Uh, opens on an outstanding uh, long shot of these guys walking through the high school and just just talking and uh, bullshitting and having a a very specific uh, and like stylized vibe to their dialogue to how they interact with each other uh, this movie simultaneously has a crackling frenetic energy uh, but also will just have a five minute shot of uh, of the young switchboard operator's face as she keeps operating the switchboard. It know it knows when to move and when to be big and it knows when to hold back. It does both perfectly. Uh, it's a, a ton of like early young Spielberg homages. Uh, when we talked about this movie, uh, you said it sounded like I was describing super eight. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of true just in that you can really, you can really feel that energy, but uh I think this uh, this movie impressed me in a way that Super 8 uh, never did. The director's name is Andrew Patterson, by the way, uh, and it is a uh, it is a debut uh, writing, editing, directing, producing uh, effort for him. Uh, true, truly incredible movie. I cannot recommend it uh, enough, and I I think you in particular would really enjoy it. Awesome. Um, well, I don't want to spoil your list, but I now know what your number one is, and we can talk about it now. My number Let's... two is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Yes, that is, in fact, my number one. Boy, oh boy. Um, where do you even be? Well, you've seen it more recently. Why don't you talk about it? Is sure. your favorite of the year? I'll give you... I, uh, I watched this movie uh, last night with the intention of, you know, I'll knock out never rarely. And then, uh, you know, probably another movie before bed. Uh, by the time this was over, that was, that was out of the question. I needed a, a little bit of decompression and a, uh, an adult beverage. And then to go to bed, I uh, harrowing is the word that comes to mind. When I think about this, this movie tells the story of a, a, a young girl in rural Pennsylvania who uh, wants to get an abortion and can't uh, because her town is bad. And so she travels to New York with her cousin uh, and just naturally runs into one obstacle after another. Uh, And this movie tells her story in a way that, you you feel in your chest you every 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 obstacle every uh, horrible disgusting man they encounter and every just sort of regular interaction with a man that is just kind of baseline horrible in its own right uh, to even every uh, every obstacle from the uh, perfectly well intentioned uh, medical clinics in New York just just hits you like a punch in the gut but it knows how to space out these little moments of happiness of support 
of uh, of just love shown between uh, between these two girls on their night their night in New York. They end up in like a Korean bakery, and there's just a a short scene of them sharing this uh, this mystery pastry and laughing. Uh, or just there are there are multiple scenes where one of them will just will reach out and touch the other as just a a a gesture of assurance of connection that this this movie just fucking blew me away yeah this is delicate filmmaking in the highest form this is a careful movie uh, it knows the subject and it knows the, the task at hand and it it it, it moves with it moves like a ballet it's this delicate touch um, that it has uh liza hitman wrote and directed it um i want to point out talia Ryder as this the friend she's terrific her cousin skylar yeah skylar she's terrific in it and i want to especially point out sydney flanagan in her first performance ever yeah Uh, I, the uh, the director found her at a house party when she was 14. Yes. <laughs> and what a find. She gives an absolutely understated and incredible performance. Probably the second best performance of the year. But um, uh, the movie is tough to watch. It's, it hurts. It makes you angry. And yet there is such a warm and tender love between these two friends and and not only that but the people at the abortion clinic did she go to Planned Parenthood or is it just unnamed I don't I don't know that it's named okay the uh, the, uh, the the clinic she goes to um, the caringness and her resistance to that um, and just what they go through to get this thing done to get something that should be so easily accessible um and what they have to do to get it. And the moment that you're referring to when they touch hands uh, is a beautifully played uh, bit of cinema. The movie is um, difficult, but it is just absolutely riveting. You can't take yourself off the screen. And the big moment, one of my runners up for scene of the year, the never, rarely, sometimes, always moment, Yes, is <clears throat> one of the more... Uh, it, it, it involves uh, Autumn... Sidney Flanagan's character uh, filling out or having a form filled out at the clinic. The woman there has to ask her questions. Uh, you know, how often are you sexually active? Stuff like that. The answers are never really, sometimes always. And it is a piece of writing and directing and patience. Patience from everyone involved in that. I mean, that scene goes on for a while. And the camera does not move away. No. Um, it is just absolute peak filmmaking. And I uh, can't wait for what all of these people do next. When, uh, when the when the nurse says when she drops the title, when she she says never, rarely, sometimes, always, yeah, bowled me over like a truck. Because you didn't like, think I, that's what that was that that was the context, right? I I mean I I I after after thinking about it, I feel like you might have mentioned to me uh, way back yeah. when. What that was, or maybe someone did, but like I, at at the time, I had no idea what the title was regarding. Yeah. Uh, 
And so when it just kind of came out of nowhere and I suddenly realized the implications of where this scene was about to go yeah, uh, because of that, just what, one of the most effective title drops I've ever seen in any movie. And the way the camera just stays on her the whole time. And she, she starts off with, she keeps, she holds, she holds her. She's very uh, guarded. Yeah, her guarded yeah. demeanor as long as she can. But you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a good movie if it didn't if it didn't cracks in the facade didn't start to show up. Yeah. Uh, remind reminded me a lot in a very different way of the vast of the vast of night and how that that movie has a couple of uh, you know much less uh, emotionally draining scenes, but just really long scenes where the camera is just on someone's face and they're just talking, they're just doing something. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a theme for me this year. Uh, it's a really, really special movie. Uh, I think it's on HBO. Uh, yeah, it is. It is on max. Yeah. You guys should find it. It's really, really great. Okay. And then my number one film of the year, the best movie of 2020 uh, might be a bit on the nose, but I don't care. It is Chloe Zhao's Nomad. Um, I think that this is Zhao who is very um, prominent. She's very uh, comfortable in this genre. She makes a lot of films about, similar to Kelly uh, Reichardt, about uh, the American middle lower class, these unseen communities. Her film from a few years ago, The Rider, R-I-D-E-R, is terrific. You should all seek that out. But this is her magnum opus. This is her epic American poem. And it is uh, one of the great American films that we've had in some time showing this community of uh, well-wishers who um, want to live their own way. Francis McDormand is great as always. I have no need to harp on her performance. She doesn't do anything you haven't seen her do. It doesn't take away from her performance, but she's just always great. But more so what this movie is, is atmosphere, it's tone. They used real nomads foreign actors. Charlene Swanky gives uh, one of the better performances a supporting actress has given in her one scene. She impacts the entire film. You never forget about her after she's on screen. David Strathairn is great. It has an ending where you want the character to do one thing while knowing that she probably won't, and a beautiful uh, ending imagery, but the cinematography, the music, the sparse dialogue, this is just setting you in a section of this country that you don't know exists and taking you on a ride. It is like reading uh, Robert Frost. It is like reading a great book of poetry about this country. Um, it is just poetry on in motion on the screen. I wish I could have seen this in IMAX, but it is it is the great American film of this year and maybe uh, of this uh, decade. So Nomadland was my number one film of 2020. I think that is all uh, very well put. It is a certainly very beautiful, very provocative movie. Uh, some, something about it that I still can't quite put my finger on just left me a little cold, but it, it would not, it would not have fallen any lower than 15 uh, and was, was just re- very, very impressive. The, the direction, the cinematography, again, the performances from actor and non-actor alike, uh, were outstanding. I, I full, I fully understand the uh, 
the sort of swell of support by it. I actually just recommended this movie to my mom this afternoon. Oh, I think she'd like it a lot. My mom loved it. I agree. My mom said after she watched it, my phone didn't ring, which is great, but she didn't even look at her iPad or her phone, which, as you know, is very difficult for her to do. She was I do. raptured by this film. So uh, it is great. That is, uh, you got to pay to play for that one, but uh, it's worth it. And, uh, it's really, really special. All right, now let's recap our 10. Why don't you run down your 10 from 10 to 1 real quick. All right, uh, from 10 to 1, uh, I have The Invisible Man, Time, Wolfwalkers, Possessor, Another Round, First Cow, Sound of Metal, Minari, The Vast of Night, and Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And at number 10, I had Promising Young Woman. Number 9, Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. Number 8, The Invisible Man. At number 7, Sound of Metal. At number 6, Dick Johnson is Dead. Number 5, The Father. Number 4, Defy Bloods. Number 3, Minari. At number 2, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And at number 1, nomad land so there we go those are our top 10 of the year um real uh oh no you 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 go i would say i have four documentaries in my top 16 yeah i which speaking of two in my top 10 which i mean rarely happens yeah Yeah. speaking of uh, top 16 i was just going to ask you if uh, real quick there was anything anything you wanted to shout out any of those movies that you really hoped would end up in your top 10 and you just couldn't quite fit uh, Boy State was the other, was one of the other docs. Okay. Um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah didn't make it. One Night in Miami, My Rainey's Black Bottom, Collective, which you haven't watched yet. Right. Borat, subsequent movie film, Love and Monsters, and Soul. Those are my 20. That was a, uh, yeah. Speaking of Judas and the Black Messiah, interesting thing I noticed that even though your cutoff went to, uh, the Oscar cutoff. Yep. I, I think your, your whole list was, uh, 2020. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I think it was only Judas and the black Messiah. And then what else would it, and then like, I don't know, the little things, you know, there wasn't so, there wasn't too many sure movies that, uh, that were released in that period that could have, that were good enough. To make that. So, um, yeah, but yeah, the documentary thing is surprising. I haven't had a documentary yeah. in my 10. since. won't you be my neighbor in 2018? And then, uh, 13th was my third best of 2016 but um really yeah it's a uh, it is a it is a really good year i uh yeah also real quick want to shout out uh the movie shithouse which uh i don't know where it would have ranked because again i didn't keep numbered rankings beyond the 10 but mm-hmm. another uh first time uh writer director cooper rafe telling a uh a, a small, uh, a small story of a sort of uh, introvert at college who can't quite find his footing uh, until he spends a uh, spends a great night with his uh, his RA, played by Dylan Galula from Kimmy Schmidt, and, and a shy introvert who then uh, finds and falls in love with a gorgeous woman. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's he's all right looking himself, but it, oh, the way the way the way it plays out, uh, and I don't I don't want to put too much on this comparison but it's it's yeah. kind of to me like a modern day college version uh, of uh, yeah of before sunrise yeah. except it 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 plays out like what happens if they spend the next couple of days together too okay so it's not it's not just a full on uh, sure. full on magic and it does not have the 
uh, deafness that Richard Linkletter had at that point in his career. But similar vibes, you know? Uh, I I don't think I mentioned this, but uh, I had first cow at 17. Okay. Maybe I did. Uh, so yeah, just another 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 movie I very very highly recommend. Uh, enjoyed quite a bit. Mm. Couldn't quite make the list though. Uh, all right, Noah, plug us up. All right, you can come find us at what's in the box We are on Twitter at witboxoffice. That is also our Instagram handle. I am on Twitter at Noah Drukey. I'm at Brian Deserver D A S U R B E R. And of course, the feed for our podcast can be found uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Stitcher, the big podcast app, Stitcher. Uh, it's a great time to get in. The Oscars are next week, and we're going to have some things to say about that. We like the Oscars. I love the Oscars. My favorite night of the year. Not only that, but uh, I mean, we're going to be talking Oscars, guys. So the podcast will probably come out on Tuesday because Noah's got to watch it. Uh, tape so um expect that uh next tuesday we'll talk about the oscars how the show went who should have won why didn't they win that kind of thing uh and what it was like in this quarantine era it's going to be very exciting i heard today that um they are not they're asking people not to wear masks while they're, well sorry they're not requiring them to wear masks while they're on camera during commercial breaks masks need to go on but other than that, because there's only going to be in this like huge auditorium like 170 people, and they'll all be socially distanced anyway and tested, that while the cameras are on and get the reactions, they can have the masks off. I think it's fine. Um, so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they uh, they do it. I'm excited. And also, I mean, next week is huge. The Oscars, of course. But we're finishing the Sweet 16 Candles. We're solidifying our Elite Eight and a half, and we have huge matchups next week. Armageddon against Speed. Pretty Woman takes on There's Something About Mary. Terminator 2 Judgment Day against Toy Story 2. And we're getting to it first next week, but it is the creme de la creme. The Lion King, Noah's favorite Disney animated film of the 90s. And Aladdin, my favorite Disney animated film of the 90s, going head to head. Only one can come out on top. We're going to fight tooth and nail for our movie. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. Check that out next week. We'll see you then. Uh, this has been What's in the Box Office. I have been your host, Brian. And I've been your host, Noah. Thank you for listening. And in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.